the hype train is and we're like oh my god this is terrible we're so good can we just stop that crap Ireland could win the World Cup let's be honest oh Shane could why are we so afraid of this OTB AM live weekday mornings from 7.30 on the OTB sports app OTB AM with Gillette get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs razor with exfoliating bar Good morning, how are things? It's Thursday, it's OTB AM, brought to you as always with uh, Gillette Labs. Uh, I'll, get to the, I'll get to the read right in front of me because uh, I forgot it. Uh, you'd, you'd think at this stage I'd know the read off the heart, but I don't. Uh, Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day, that was an effortless intro. Very good morning to Meads, Ashing O'Reilly. Ashing, good morning. Good morning, Shane Hannan, how are you? Keeping well, keeping well, thank you. And uh, Mayo's, Cameron Hill, a very good morning. And Buenos Dias, as we say in Mayo. It's Mayo, it's, what part of Mayo are you from, Cameron? Castlebar. You don't shout about it like Nathan does. Not really, no. I kind of keep it on the down low because Castlebar, people only really know when they're because they go through it to get to Westport or Ackle. So right. it's it's not great being like. Is it telling like, you just pass through? Yeah, yeah, we're like the kidneys of Mayo. That's what we are. We're Monaghan, just passing through. Monaghan's the kid. I know how you feel because Monaghan is described as the kidneys of, of Ulster because everyone is just going to Letterkenny or yeah. Derry or. Not really Belfast, but like you get the the thirty two bus goes through Monaghan, and I've described in this show before the Monaghan bus station is fairly grim. <laughs> so like people's ideas of Monaghan is just planted on this one bus station, which I don't think is fair. Uh, but I understand how you feel, Cameron. Yeah. It's not good. Yeah, well, Castlebar, I always thought it was one of the main places in Mayo. Then yeah. I went there, and there's not a hell of a lot going on, Cameron. I mean, we do have a <laughs> McDonald's, yeah. so uh, I take great exceptions to that, and a massive Tesco. Um, That's always good. I have been in that Tesco, yeah. actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, it's great Tesco. What, what's the bar, the famous GA bar again? Uh, Mick Burns. Mick Burns, yeah. of course. Yeah, I've been in it. It's, it's a fantastic bar. Mm. I yeah, stayed yeah, in Swinford, actually, for the uh, Mayo-Galway game. Okay. Yeah, I know. I had to go out a little bit. There was no accommodation in Castlebar. No, no. Yeah, it was packed out of it. It's the only for Castlebarians. Castlebarians. <laughs> Colin reminded me, Swinford is Hardy Bucks. That's the location. Yes, that's right. Castletown. Castletown. Oh, okay. Also, it's, uh, yeah, the, the fake name is Castletown. Real, real life Swinford. Mm. Uh, right, so Castlebar doesn't have much going for it then? Not really. I mean, it will in a few years when they have the plaque dedicated to me. But, um, wow. McHale Park. Yeah, it'll be like yeah. the Cameron Hill Walk. It'll be tour. renamed McHill Park. McHill Park. Oh, Cameron. I like nice. that. See yeah, see it works. There. If see someone can go on yeah. change.org right now and get that going, that'd be great. You'd 100%. have my support. No, all up for it, all up for it. Uh, we have a busy show between 9 and, 9 and 10 o'clock. Uh, just to bring you up to speed with what we have for you in the next couple of hours, we'll have Matt Williams joining us around 5 past 8. Uh, we're getting into overdrive with the France uh, with the France stuff, and we'll, we'll talk to Ashley in just a second, who's been covering the press conferences for us all week, and Cameron, who's uh, maybe going to bring us back down to earth a little bit in terms of our predictions. We're all getting a little bit excited and ahead of ourselves, ahead of the France game. Andy Mitten from around twenty five past eight, talking uh, Manchester United versus Leeds last night, cracking game, two all draw, probably uh, two points dropped for United, although they were two 0 down in that game, so they'll take a point. Uh, virtual Insanity with John Duggan on the way from 8.40. We've got Mike Carlson previewing the Super Bowl at 8.50. It's the Philadelphia Eagles against the Kansas City Chiefs, of course, in Glendale, Arizona, this Sunday night. Very late. And 10 past 9, Phil Egan will join us. We'll talk Katie McCabe. Uh, she was back in the Arsenal starting lineup last night. We'll talk Liverpool and their lack of form at the moment. 
uh, and a few other bits beside as well. Uh, maybe who's going to take over at Leeds uh, across the next uh, few days. You'd imagine they'll be looking to get someone more permanent in charge. And then we'll bring you highlights of the football show from around half past nine uh, this morning as well. So plenty to come between now and uh, ten o'clock. I get the comments as usual in on YouTube and wherever else you're watching. Um, so Kitty McCabe, guys, back in the the Arsenal team last night, uh, a man of the man of the or woman of the match performance, I should say, one uh, 0 win over Man City. This was in the FA WSL Cup. Uh, Stina Blackstenius with a winner in the ninety third minute. But I mean, it's good to see her back in the team. But as as, as uh, Kathleen pointed out in the uh, production meeting this morning, a lot of that Irish squad aren't playing regularly at club football at the minute, which is a little bit of a concern in a World Cup year. Yeah, it, it definitely is. You know, you want to be getting as much game time as possible. It's a bit surprising with Cade McCabe. We don't really fully know why. Yeah, um, there was all these rumours to Chelsea. and Yeah, like, is it something to do with that? I, oh, I'm not sure. Um, it's not as if Cady entertained any of that, you know. Mm. Um, so, yeah, it, it's, it's shocking, really, because she's been so on form and even seeing her last night, you know, getting to the player of the game. And yeah. she always has an influence. She's always constantly setting up. She's a workhorse. So it is a strange one. And for Vera Pau, I don't think she'll be too worried about Katie now. That's fair. But yeah. um, you want to be getting game time. You need to be getting game time. Um, and that's something that Vera will definitely be looking into. Um, but yeah, we're speaking to her tomorrow. She's announcing the team, which is very exciting. Yeah, yeah. Um, it feels like things are getting real. It's all kicking off um, ahead of the World Cup. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see who she names. And yeah, I'll put that to her as well, what she thinks of all of that. And mm. um, no doubt, I'm, I'm sure she, she wants them to be getting regular game time. You know, yeah. it's only but a benefit. Mm. She just exudes confidence, doesn't she, Kitty? She, I, she, she's relatively young to be a captain. I yeah. know she was named captain relatively young for sure. But she's she twenty-one, yeah. She has that leadership Definitely. quality that just comes yeah. over. Yeah, she's iconic. I think it's the same problem with our like goalkeepers. How we all have um, <laughs> our best players are all in the same position. It seems um, we have two iconic sports stars named Katie. Yeah. So when you say, "Oh, Katie, Katie played really well," or "Katie performed really well," it's kind of hard to know because they both operate at such a high level too. Yeah, it can be a little bit confusing. So I wonder like who's going to take. You only have to say the one name. Yeah, Rory. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Seamus. Um, you know, whereas Katie, I wonder if there's going to be like a a duel to see who ultimately takes the the one name. And they're good friends, and they played football together for Ireland. And yeah, 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 yeah it's yeah, a good story absolutely. there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You're um, on to something. Mm, at the minute, I think Katie Taylor's up there, but if uh, yeah. Katie McCabe goes to the World Cup and yeah That's I don't it. want to say what could happen but uh, yeah, don't firmly, want to jinx it firmly in her sights yeah. getting that one name in Iker that World Cup's going to sneak up like what is it July 20th it starts yes like, yeah, it's yeah. Gonna, I know there's still plenty of time but like it's going to come out of nowhere I would imagine like it's just like the Rugby World Cup we've been talking about it for so long that you're like when it's eventually upon us we'll be like oh it's here it was the same with the Qatar World Cup and the football everyone kind of ignored it and then it was just upon us because the Premier League was being played right up until what a week before it started, you're like, well, you can't really get excited about this. But the Women's World Cup, we're going to have a bit of time to Yeah, and I think with it. the preparation matches as well, and obviously playing France in Tallis Stadium, that was mm. just announced as well. So, uh, yeah, to bid farewell, I suppose, to the girls as they head off. So that will be so exciting. I can't wait for that one. I'm sort of glad it's in Tallis Stadium. I know they mentioned the Aviva, but yeah. I think Aviva's uh, undergoing work at, on that date, so it can't happen. But I'm sort of happy it's in Tallis. That's where they've played all their games up to now. Absolutely. I know the girls would have liked the chance of the Aviva. Mm. Um, you know, it's a good opportunity, but like 
I think just to set them off to the World Cup, that is where they've had the big moments to qualify. Yeah. You know, the Austria game. Yeah. So I think it's it's fitting that it's there. But it'll be an amazing atmosphere that it's nicely closed in. Oh, class. I think it is. And they've made it their spiritual home. And yeah. it's where the journey from where they were at one point to where they are now kind of began with that Ireland-Australia game, which was just a friendly, but you felt something's changed here. Mm. Yeah. That's true. Mm. It really has been a journey, like, when you think back to where they were to now, mm. um, and it's always been Tala, so yeah, you're dead right. It's July 6th, so two weeks before the, the, the World Cup gets underway. In earnest, uh, Fergus Keogh in the comments on YouTube, I love watching Shane, but do I mean Lowry or Hannon? Well, you probably mean Lowry, <laughs> to be fair, Fergus, but I won't hold that against you, to be fair. Uh, Noel Cal says hope lots of United talk today we will talk with Andy Mitten later on about the match against Leeds uh, JP Wright voice actor if you want Man United and Monaghan talk this is the show for you this is this is the problem when they give me the reins I will just go off on Monaghan a little bit but they've every lost. single day so this is the thing. you've I, always, I always mentioned Monaghan mention. like at least <laughs> once a day yeah, yeah. I'd swear I got a like, bonus for every time I said the You're word Monaghan you just Monaghan. passionate change yeah I am passionate mm. Um yeah, people are like, oh, I heard you talking about Monaghan the other day. And I was like, well, I talk about Monaghan every single day. So uh, nothing nothing new there. We got an email in yesterday. So uh, to remind people, I picked my, myself and Colin picked our Manchester United Premier League era 11s. Sorry, it wasn't the 11. It was the top 10 Manchester United players of the Premier League era. So it wasn't positionally uh, dictated. Uh, so for, just a reminder, this was my uh, selection, which which garnered a little bit of controversy. So we had Dennis Irwin at 10, Vanessa Roy 9, Vidic at 8, Schmeichel 7, Ronaldo 6, Cantona at five, Wayne Rooney four. Yeah, I could have had Wayne Rooney a bit higher, maybe. Roy Keane at three, Ryan Giggs at two, and Paul Scholes at one. And Scholes definitely garnered a little bit of controversy being number one, but for me, he was just uh, fantastic. But we got an email, and this isn't this isn't one of those like, abusive emails that can come in every now and again. This was a very well scripted, well thought out email from Lee Kelly. So I hope Lee doesn't mind me reading it out. I'm sure he doesn't. Uh, so this is what Lee said: Hello, OTB. Listen to the show daily, but I'm based in Canada, so do not watch on a live field. I obtained the email addresses online. Uh, today on OTBM, Shane picked his top 10 Manchester United players of the Premiership era. This stemmed from Jair's or Johnny's claim that Cantona was not world class and would not be in the top 10 Manchester United players of all time. Shane decided to re- restrict his list to include only players from the Premiership era, 1992 to present day. We, we, I didn't decide that. We decided that as a, as a team. His justification was that he had not seen enough of the players prior to the start of the Premiership, Premier League, so did not include Best, Law, Charlton and Robson, even though he did play for United during Premier League era. A couple of things to note. One, Shane stated on a previous episode that he was 29 years old, so he was born in 1994. Eric Cantona, at number two, played for United from 1992 to 1997. So when Shane was three years old, Cantona left United. It's safe to say that he did not experience the Cantona years firsthand. To maintain the integrity of the station, Shane either needs to remove Cantona from his list as his exposure to Cantona was retrospective, or change the parameters of the list and include players prior to 92. As stated, I listen to the show daily and have since early 2019, so would love a shout, but understand if the discussion does not go on any further. I am not, and he puts this in italics, I am not calling out Colm directly as he was not part of the discussion as he was on leave. So first of all, Colm's getting away lightly here. Like, I mean, very, very lightly. Number two, you said I was born in 1994. This is my driving licence. Lee, I was born in 1993. So that's the second point. Okay, so you've got that slightly, slightly wrong. My third point, I have a photograph of a, of a VHS tape that I had as a kid. This is the double 95-96, the official review of the season. You'll notice Cantona lifting the Premier League and the FA Cup trophy in the front. This is the video. You can ask my father if he's ever an OTBM. I watch this, this DVD religiously. Uh, so I've seen a lot more of Cantona than I have of Robson. And uh, the second photo is myself in one of my favourite uh, jerseys. 
there's a photo shoot I did on Instagram, not for this specifically, but uh, a number of years ago. My favourite jersey growing up, Cantona 7. Lee, I understand your point, but Cantona was one of my favourite players. I saw plenty of him growing up. Yeah, maybe some of it was on those videotapes. It wasn't all live. But I just I just felt felt called out. You know what? It was a very well put together. Like He, he had an argument and he stuck to it. But I felt like Colum got away very, very lightly. It's Colum's mate, yeah. Uh, uh, it, Colum's it, also writing in the factory or calling it a DVD. Backs up Lee's it's point a, it's a that VHS, it was surely yeah. VHS. I was just saying for all you kids out there who don't understand, if I said VHS, half the, like, half the people under... Well, what age do you have to be to know what a VHS tape is? Oh God, um, I'm guessing from about 90, 97 onwards. Yeah, born 97 on. I yeah. think, around that. Yeah, my younger brother was 97 and he'd, he'd know what a VHS tape was. Yeah, yeah. He's on the periphery. Yeah, I yeah I'd say onwards you're, you're yeah. Cameron's no. never given away his age on the show and I'm, I'm not going to ask you uh, to, to start doing that, Cameron, but you're, are you familiar with, with VHS tapes? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a tape that's still in the house because uh, my dad inexplicably got a VHS player last year a what player a VHS player <laughs> sorry I went a bit Scottish <laughs> VHS player yeah, VHS player yeah and um, <laughs> and uh, there's a tape of Johnny Giles talking through Leeds's um, 72 FA Cup run and the highlights from that that is incredibly worn at this stage because myself and himself would watch it a good bit um and that that pretty much formed my love of the club. But yeah, no, I the VHS fond memories. Another way you used to you stop rewind and you ju- it'd just go through the whole thing. You could see the whole thing in front of you, mm. like in, in grey, just white noise coming across the screen. There was something very nostalgic and therapeutic. You had to be there. You had to be there. Was that Ken Doherty? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I recognise the voice. Uh, but I used to watch. Yeah, Fireman Sam was my big VHS when I was a yeah. kid. Oh, like yeah. you'd throw on a Postman Pat the odd time, but like. It was Fireman. I wanted to, to either be Fireman Sam or Eric Cantona as a kid. I think ours was Lion King, like every Lion morning. King, yeah, 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 Saturday mornings. I don't think we had a lot of VHS. I'm trying to think back, but yeah, Lion King was the big one. <laughs> Colin, yeah. was it Greece? Greece, you watch Greece on VHS. Greece. Yeah, yeah, or was it Jojo? And Emma, jeez, everyone in there is watching watch Greece. Greece. VHS. You're all about years older, maybe. <laughs> I didn't know. I didn't. Greece, it was Thomas and Friends, uh, Fireman Sam, as you say. Yeah, Thomas and Friends was Thomas the Tank Engine. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Teletubbies, and then The Simpsons. If I was good, right, be like a, a video with four episodes. If I knew four to, episodes of The Simpsons. If you were bad, Thomas the Tank Engine. If you were good, The Simpsons. Oh no! If I was bad, it'd be gone for a week. Mm. I wouldn't be able to find it. Right, because they know I, you know, I'd stick it on. It was just something very just class about it. Take yeah. the thing out of the box, put it in, stop, rewind, wait there for like three minutes as it rewind, rewind to the start. Yeah, even it's hearing the word. Yeah. Yeah. The whir of it rewinding nice. class. Oh my god, yeah. yeah. When you rented one, you'd almost have to put it back to yeah. the start before you give it back. Wasn't that a thing? Yeah, 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 yeah. It was like an unwritten rule. You had to do that. Oh, oh even that. Even just going to the, the VHS shop to be able to go and pick oh, them out. Remember that? Was it R.I.P. Extra Vision? Yeah. Chartbusters, but was Friday it, night was ritual. Oh, you just walk in and you could get three for like 4 50 for three nights. Mm. And you just walk around for like an hour trying to pick what you wanted to watch. Uh, Good times. You could find if you didn't rewind it. Colin says, "Yeah, ah, come on now. Oh yes, we yeah, I knew there was something there. Yeah, we definitely never did that, and half the time we never brought them back. Like he was constantly keeping That's, it. You'd yeah. rack up a, yeah, yeah. a fine. Toy Story, I think, was another one I had. The original Toy Story on on VHS. The original Toy Story. Okay. Original. Wow. Sorry, as opposed to Toy Story two, three, or four. Uh, Bohemian Twenty Nines on YouTube says the Canadian chap is right. So you've seen ninety minutes of the ninety five, ninety six season. Well, that's okay then. Why isn't that okay? Like, I saw I saw some highlights of Eric... I saw a lot of highlights of Eric Cantona. I watched a lot of Eric Cantona growing up. Mm. I mean, Jesus. 
This is like, don't people are like music snobs? The, the people who are slightly older than you are always like, ah, you don't remember that. You, you don't know what that's like. I walked to school in my bare feet. What are you talking about? But you put him number one. No, sorry, Cantona was five. Oh, sorry, five. Yeah, Sco- oh, sorry, Scholes was number okay. one. And you've so seen him in person. He was just complaining that I had Cantona in the top ten okay. at all because I sorry, hadn't seen sorry. him. Sorry, sorry, yeah, yeah, yeah. But well, Brian, that's fair. But like Brian Robson came slightly before Cantona. Slightly before Cantona. So I didn't see... Like, Robson wasn't really on those tapes that I was watching. I, I had a 92, 93 tape as well that Robson would have been in, but no, it was mostly Eric Cantona. Skulls at number one, Ashing. I finally found. Yeah. I finally found someone to agree with me. You're, you're not, not, not necessarily agreeing, but like you appreciate what Paul Skulls was. Oh, I loved him as a player. Yeah, yeah, he was edgy. Like, yeah, I loved him. But now I would have had Roy Keane ahead of Paul Skulls. Would have had Roy, Roy number one. Who? Um, probably. Yeah. I used to love Vanessa Roy. Oh yeah. I, I think loved watching Vanessa Roy in the back of a jersey, and I had Canton in the back of a jersey, and I had Skulls in the back of a jersey. I had a lot of jerseys. Uh, but yeah, I, I think that's how you'd have taped. Like my little brother had Gabriel Heinze on the back of his top. Yeah, Gabby Heinze, remember him, the left back. Wow. Just, he, he was real. Yeah, he was real niche with his uh, with his yeah. jersey picks. We'll have to get you to pick your Celtic all time. I don't know what year. Oh, he st- we you don't even need to ask that question. You oh, could really? not guess it. The top ten. Oh, top ten. Sorry, well, number one is obviously Henrik Larsson. Yeah, yeah, that's my first memory of Celtic. Really? Okay. Right. Yeah. Right. Long hair and remember RT two used to show the games yeah, back yeah, in yeah. the day. Um, and yeah it was Champions League stuff so you know it would be on mm. and I, that's when I re- first remember seeing Celtic I remember asking who's that who's that with the hair and then like I, from then on that was it hooked yeah. um, but he was unbelievable oh my god yeah, I just so fans appreciate him for, yeah. he was only there for three months at Old Trafford and I think mm-hmm. he uh, he scored a few important goals I remember uh, I met him after Imagine. a United Lille match United played Lille and he scored a goal it was his last game for United after the three months got his autograph and met him afterwards it was unbelievable but um yeah, we're going to get your top ten because one is yeah. easy, but picking the picking yeah, the ten, it would be ten is yeah, yeah. wouldn't be yeah. Yeah. Someone in the YouTube comment says, uh, "Do your top ten baby cartoon characters, lads." That would be even more controversial than United's top ten. Uh, we're not going to do that. That's too controversial. Yeah. We should get into the match last night <laughs> at Old Trafford. United two leads two. I mean, Cameron, you're you're. I don't want to say Leeds United correspondent on the show, but uh, it we'll, certainly we'll, feels that way. Yeah, Shane. we'll go with that. I'm pulled in. Yeah, big time when the, needed. The top uh, the top of each half. First half, second half, Leeds just came out of the blocks massively and clearly listened to their caretaker manager after the match. That was a, that was a game plan and mm. uh, something that really worked for them last night. Definitely. And uh, you sort of felt that they exploited the fact that Man United were struggling to get into their shape mm. at the very top of each half. I mean, the absence of Casemiro was very keenly felt yesterday because the back four were totally disorganised and it allowed uh, Wilfred Nanto and Patrick Bamford and Stroy to... Um, exploit that space that was mm. created by his absence and obviously Nanto scored a brilliant goal and I just can't love this guy enough he is fantastic has a really good movement but he had that space that he hasn't had for the last couple of games uh, I think teams are starting to really see him as a as a threat and are putting two or three on him um, but yeah it, we started really really well and really positively and the second half was great too and then it just I think we invited United on mm in terms of attack, we, we sat back and let them come at us. And that worked for the first half, um, but the second half you could see they were getting very leggy. Um, Ailing, Vover and Cock were brilliant, Yeah, um, but they couldn't keep that up forever. And, I mean, the two goals from United, they had it. You're coming chances. with it as well. Oh, they had it. It was like, you can have unlimited chances here, lads. Let's see if you can score. It was shooting practice. Mm. So that was that was quite frustrating. Um I wasn't all that surprised. I think it was a 
better version of what we've been doing all season, which is play really, really well in a game, but not capitalise on how well we've played. It's funny, like I really, really enjoyed the game. It was brilliant to watch, and it's from from a neutral perspective, it was brilliant to watch as well. Both teams probably are left a little bit wanting because Leeds before the game would have been happy with a two-all draw but of course being 2 nil up you think you can put, put, push on and get the three points and then from United's perspective I mean they'd be kind of happy to get the draw mm-hmm. considering you know Leeds taking a 2 nil lead early in the second half Jadon Sancho as well coming back mm-hmm. I mean that's fantastic to see like he's one of those players and you see you see it every now and again a player who's really a form player if he's in the team and playing well he's happy yeah. And Eric Ten Hag after he scored the goal last night, there was a smirk in Eric Ten Hag's face. And mm. even listened to him speaking afterwards about him, like it was so nice the way he spoke about him and just delighted for him. Mm. And you know he could be like a fantastic world class player. Yeah. You know he just needs that confidence, and he played with that last night when he came off the bench, and it was great to see obviously everything that he's been through. Mm. But I think from a Leeds perspective, like it's one they they let go, like Big you know time. they left behind, and I think I read it was the it would have been the first time in forty two years mm. that they would have bet. Man United at home yeah, like that's yeah. incredible so yeah massive disappointment there but I think Den Haag probably left thinking you know it, it's a hard one they changed things up in the second half and it, probably his substitutions were really the game changing moments yeah. mm. um, Marcus Rashford he played out on the right wing he moved him into the centre he looked a, a lot happier played mm. with a lot more freedom so um, I think that was really all Den Haag there but yeah, I think you would walk away thinking, okay, what what happened there? How yeah. did we slip up? But also, thank God, we came away with a point. Yeah, absolutely. Something. Mm. I think, like, when we'll talk to Andy Mitten about all this, but Vard Weghorst looks a bit lost up up front. He just hasn't. I know he scored one goal, I think, since he came in, but, like, he just hasn't been the answer that United have wanted so far in terms of delivering goals. Garnacho tried his best to create last night, but just couldn't really mm. get through. But then as soon as, as you say, actually, like, he brings on Sancho and Palistri, and all of a sudden, there's a liveliness to them. Yeah, and that, look, that, that's that's le- you know they're of course leggy as well, so they're tired. Uh, but bringing in fresh players definitely helped United. You thought when they go back to two two, and there was still what twenty twenty five minutes left, you're like they're they're definitely going to go on yeah. in this game. Yeah, but. they sniff blood here, and I think you're right about um, Pellistri, who made his Premier League debut, which feels very yeah. strange, doesn't it? Because feel, it feels up. like he's been there for at least a season. Mm. Um, he's made a real impression. But I think you're right in terms of bringing Sancho and Pellistri on. It gave United's attack a much more fluency. Mm-hmm. I think Veghorst and Garnacho in the same team is a little bit disjointed, which played into Leeds' hands. Because I think Kalk and Vober are great. They're, they're the makings of a great centre back pairing. Yeah. Um, but Kalk, especially, is a specialist at the block and the intercept. He's really, really good at reading that stuff. Mm. So when you're not quite working like a machine, working like clockwork mm. as in an attacking sense, it makes it easier for him to do his job and, you know do his best defensively yeah it looked funny in the sidelines for Leeds last night you had Michael Scabala who was doing the media duties Chris Armas United fans will remember as well who was one of the coaches there in recent years with the Airpods famous for the Airpods he was getting I think accused of being Ted Lasso Mm. Uh, by by some United fans when things weren't going well and Paco Gallardo was the other one as well so very very busy Leeds dugout like it's a strange one when you see literally three managers in the sideline all discussing things it's not like one of them was in the technical area and the other two were sitting down they were all very actively yeah. involved. You'd have to, yeah, you'd have to think they would go away happy. Like, yeah. you know, like what a performance against Man United and obviously they've been, yeah, going through a tough time of late. Obviously, the manager walking away and they haven't had a lot of time to prepare for this game. So you'd think they'd walk away going, okay, there's exciting times here. Like as a, a lead supporter, I think you'd leave the ground. Okay, it's disappointing, but yeah. 
okay, there's a, you know, a lot to be positive about. Yeah, They've taken a point at Old Trafford before the yeah. game, for sure. Oh, totally. And Scubala was, I saw at one point, the camera went to him and he was squatting very Bielsa-esque <laughs> without the box, without the um, ice box underneath him. But it was a good kind of, you know, you know, in films where it's like reference. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a tribute to Bielsa. That's very pointed towards Marcelo yeah, Bielsa. Was like, that's nice to see again. <laughs> There's two of the things I noticed from the, the match we had. Of, uh, still here of the, the free kick from Aronson. The United Wall. It's a, it's a very grainy photograph. So that's Rashford uh, on the left. Uh, Fred's on the ground. It's Rashford second from left in the photograph. And Varane. Sorry, I know you can't really get an idea from this photograph. But the two of them. Now this ends up hitting the post, this free kick. But the fact that a free kick like that in the Premier League goes through a wall directly... Mm. Both both of them, both Rashford and Varane, jumped out of the way. Like at Sunday league level, in a wall, if there's four or five uh, men or women in a wall, you obviously lock arms and you do not move. Like you, you stand there, you jump, but you, you make sure that no gaps come in the wall. I mean, that's mm. the basic definition of a wall. Yeah. But like, I could not believe what <laughs> I was watching last night. When, when you saw the replay and you saw, I was like, how did that get through the wall in real time? And then you see the replay. Varane and Rashford, dive out of the way a turn yeah it's completely yeah. bizarre Brendan Aronson must be like Moses yeah yeah he exactly must part that Red Sea so so simply so strange the other thing I noticed was uh, from Michael Scabala's I think uh, one of the Sky picked this up on the, the TV cameras his notes I can't remember what, what does it say in the notes here be calm uh, believe believe is the second for bottom close middle I think is the Second from top note, yeah. And I don't think anybody on Twitter could work out what the top what the top uh, piece of handwriting said. I think the point was that his handwriting was terrible. Yeah, close middle is second, believe is third, and B cam is fourth. Oh, transition play, Colum says it does actually look like transition play. Mm. That's the best. Uh, that's the yeah. That's the best. And it's definitely real. Apparently so. Yeah, yeah. That's from uh, Michael Skrula's ha- uh, handwriting last night, or Skubala's handwriting last night. That uh, I was going to call it Skrula because it's a scribble, but it. Um, it's fairly like who's he handing that to? Feels very simplistic going into Premier League yeah. game, doesn't it? It you looks like a, a set list. Yeah, and maybe he's maybe he's <laughs> writing it down for his own notes for for the halftime team talk or something. But it's, um, ah, look, he's had to step up. Like, yeah, not easy for him. No. Be calm. Be and calm. We get to do it all again on Sunday. Oh yeah, Groundhog Day. Yeah, Ellen Go Rose. Again. Yeah, yeah, the second leg. It's, it's a bit strange, isn't it? A little bit. Yeah, having a having bit going straight up there. Uh, why did Leeds look so much better so quickly, Cameron? Dangerous in the final third. Um, I think they just were allowed. Give, they were given more of a free reign to do the things they do well. Like we love our counter attacks, mm. and it's definitely felt this season, despite all the problems, that it's returning to the quali- quality of the uh, Bielsa era. Yeah, I think our control and composure on the ball probably needs work. We're not that great at laying siege to the box, really. We. Mm. I was talking on Monday about that Brentford game or Tuesday, geez, um, about that Brentford game, and just we weren't. We kept going through the middle where they were flooding the players. Brentford were, um, so I think we just need someone to come in who can address our defensive shape issues. I still think we're bad at keeping our defensive shape, and maybe give us a little bit more confidence when we're outside the box and there's lots of options and the team are defending to the hilt. The opposition team, I mean. Yeah. Um, we probably need someone. So, basically, Lash, would Ange be willing to come down to Leeds and maybe taking over? Mm. Oh, that is a stupid question, Cameron. <laughs> it doesn't feel like it. <laughs> you don't have the Lash. Like, literally, any time there's any managerial position, 
in the Premier League especially it is and Postacoglu yeah. he's going it's breaking news and that's what it felt like on Sky News over the last few days Every time I put it on, it's like, talk about Ange going to Leeds. I'm like, no chance would Ange leave Celtic to go to Leeds. First off, I, I, I don't think that would be How do the clubs compare size-wise? Like, how much bigger is Celtic than Leeds? Uh, I, quantify, obviously. I, I Personally, I would think. Even just, like, <laughs> yeah. Even wow. Are you having that, Cameron? Not at all, no. Not I would really? say we're probably about the same now. Like, no given the historic... Happening. Really? What? I'm glad what? I'm in between the two of you here. No, I respect Leeds. I absolutely do. But no, I, I wouldn't think oh, that they the history. are on the same year level. Years of history. We're both Sorry, incredibly yeah. Massive. I know Sadiq Massive. You can, you can point this towards Cameron here. He's like, even if I wasn't a Celtic supporter, and it's hard because I am, so people are going to think that's mm. why I'm saying this, but like, I would think majority of, of people would say that Celtic are a bigger club than Leeds. No, I can't. Shane? No. I would say Celtic are a bigger club than Leeds. Oh. Two against one. Can't yeah. believe this. Yeah. Uh, LUFC stands. Get in the comments there and uh, <laughs> yeah, protect, gonna get hammered. But no. your fellow Leeds or Celtic. Take your pick. Mm. Who's the bigger club? Well, like they've both. Like mm, yeah, like Celtic have won the European Cup. Yeah, like and and as well. I just I don't think that's a conversation. I think that he is unfinished business and yeah, yeah um, absolutely. It's it's definitely not the time. I would never rule out down the line. Like, if he mm. wants to further his own career and whatever, you know, unfortunately, that might be the way it goes. But at the moment, what he's doing at Celtic, you know, the players he's bringing in, mm. especially from the Japanese league, you know, it, it's been unbelievable to see. So, uh, oh, yeah, geez, the comments don't are want gonna, him to... I can already tell they're going to be split here. Don't want him to leave. Oh, really? Bobby Dwyer says Leeds are a bigger club yes. than Celtic. Thank you, Bobby. Um, oh, Bobby. Thank you. Uh, Brandon says Leeds can be bigger, but not yet. Edward Freeman says Celtic are a once famous club. Hold your ears, Ashley. Celtic are a once famous club in a bit part league. Any club in the EPL is a big step up from Celtic and the EPL. Like, I did. I used that comment. Yeah, you're, yeah, yeah I, I think though. that's unfair. Tell me, tell me something else. Z- ZNTV on, said, this is a better one for you. Celtic are a Champions League club. Leeds aren't. Leeds are tiny compared to Celtic. Woo! No. Who's that? That's a Zen TV. Nah, Zen. Zen. My mate Zen. Wow. It's, uh, this <laughs> is, I made peace with that, Zen. Could be controversial. Uh, Bobby Dwyer is also trying to get at me here this morning. He says, Man United fans still thinking they're title contenders, but they've vague horse up front and drawing at home with a team fifth from bottom with no manager. I, I don't think United are title contenders at all. Not, not a chance. Mm. Not, not now. Top four is an absolute, definite uh, possibility for United this season, but not uh, Premier League, not a, not a chance. Uh, keep the comments rolling in. We're going to turn to the rugby now as well. Uh, Ashing, you've been... You've been busy all week at the press conferences. Stuart McCluskey, James Lowe. Who else was up this week? Dave Kilcoyne. Dave Kilcoyne. Yeah, Johnny um, Sexton. So, yeah, it's been busy. Um, I was over in Cardiff for the game uh, against Wales, Principality Stadium. How was that experience in the press box? It was good, yeah. Um, I was really looking forward to it because so many people had told me about the Principality Stadium and the atmosphere, especially when the roof is on. Mm. So that was the case. So I suppose before the game... It was so loud, like it was electric. Mm. And then there was a bit of a stunned silence because of the start that Ireland yeah. got. Um, and it picked up again come the second half when Wales got a bit more momentum. But yeah, it was it was a good experience. Like I spoke to Gerald Gilroy before um, the game on Friday evening and he sort of said, you know, oh, you know, watch out for there'll be pints flying, there'll be, you know, people getting sick and all this. And I was like, what? And obviously there was reports of that before at the Principality Stadium. Mm-hmm. And that was the case. So we were in the press box and all of a sudden we are live on air at this point. Gordon Darcy's to the right of me and... To the left of me, there was another Welshman who was live on air. And yeah, a pint came flying from up above in the stand. Uh, as if someone kicked it 
because it came at a serious force oh, and I was no. wearing a white jumper and it came oh, down no. the whole back of me all down the side of my hair but the guy next to me now got Took completely the drenched really? yeah, yeah. and he was live on air as well he was live on air, yeah. Did he I just continue just, talking or? And it was a tight squeeze in this press box, so like there wasn't much we could do, to be honest. Um, ah, I just, I just laughed. I just said, Jared Gilroy was right. Do you think someone pinpointed either yourself or the Welsh reporter was like, that's who I'm going to say? Yeah. Down on purpose. Sick of this now, I'm sick of us losing. But other than that, it was, uh, it was a really good experience and Cardiff's a good city, yeah. Great buzz about it. Is it very right? messy, very messy. Was it? Yeah. it? The stadium is right, it's in the city centre, isn't it? Amazing, especially from like a, a reporter point of view or anyone that's working at the game. You're always travelling and there. you're trying to work out the logistics with all your equipment and all of that, but like just literally a two minute walk from the hotel. Mm. So love that side of it. The, the, how do the players feel this week? Like we mentioned, you're chatting to Lowe and McCluskey and Sexton and Kilcoyne. Are they, is there a bit of confidence? Because France. We've been bigging up France, but at the same time, we're the number one team in the world. So is there a, an, an ultra feeling of confidence before the game on, on Saturday afternoon? Or is there a little bit of reticence that, OK, France against Italy weren't, weren't exactly what they, they usually are? The performance wasn't, wasn't there fully. Yeah, there's definitely a confidence around this Ireland team. They're mm. really embracing the number one tag. They don't mention it. Yeah. Unless we ask them about it. Yeah. But there's definitely a confidence. They are embracing being the best. Um, and yeah, they, they, they like to be the, the favourites. They, do, they don't talk about it or anything like that, but they're, they're happy to be the favourites. If mm. that's the way it is, like Johnny Sexton yesterday said, if we're favourites, we're favourites, that's, that's fine. You know, he doesn't read too much into it. Um, but yeah, they're, I think against France, a lot of them haven't played against France. So like the likes of James Lowe, like they spoke about, I, I can't wait, you know, I wanted to play against France. So they're getting their opportunity. Obviously with Johnny, he missed out the last two times they played France. So obviously watching on last year, I was there in Stade de France. The, it was an incredible atmosphere and Johnny was on the sideline and you just were thinking if only Johnny yeah. was playing, this could have been different. Mm-hmm. Um, so he gets his opportunity and they're, they're very confident. He's fit, he's ready to go. And yeah, there just definitely seems to be an air about them. But there is a lot of injuries. You know, you have Jamin Skipson Park, Tyg Furlong, Keen Healy. There's doubts now over Dan Sheehan. Um, so yeah, it, it's it's worrying that way. Um, Conor Murray, I think, is a doubt as well at this moment in time. I don't think that's fully been confirmed, yeah. but that is the the rumours at the minute. So, um, but at the same time, you you think that the strength and depth they have within this squad that they're they're well capable. And any time, what like I asked yesterday um, to Stuart McCluskey, I was like, you know, when you hear last minute changes, it, like what's your initial reaction? And I'm talking. If, like a few hours before the game because that was the case with the Wales game and he said honestly like we're, we don't we don't worry about it because of the strength and depth we mm. have and you see he was on the bench nothing changes you know your play doesn't change so mm. and you've seen that with Conor Murray you just slotted in you know yeah. he did brilliant Billy yeah. Beelham like brilliant game so they don't worry but there's definitely really there's an air about this team at the minute Cameron before we let you go your predictions for Saturday afternoon Ireland-France I think it's going to be much tighter than we probably are thinking here. Um, I think it was Andy Dunn who said it'll be 10 or 15 points to Ireland, and I'm not 100% sure that's... I love the confidence, though. <laughs> I like the confidence, but I think France... It would have been a different story if France put in a real performance against Italy. Uh, I've been listening to French podcasts this week, and they are very on edge now that they didn't play well against Italy. They lose to Ireland for the first time since 2019, and then they've Scotland next. 
it could be a real problem for them. Mm. So um, I think Ireland are just going to squeak it. I'd say two or three points. Okay. But I think, you know, this notion of, oh, it wouldn't be too bad to lose a game. Both teams, I've heard that peddled around. Like, oh, would it be this bad? Would it be all that bad to lose a game this far out of the World Cup? You know, reset, refocus, bring us back down to earth, which is a bit like they're both standing at a door saying, no, 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 after you. Yeah, you don't want that. You, you want, you want this to be a titanic clash. So I yeah. think Ireland by three, but much closer than everyone else is thinking. I'll take it. Cameron, great stuff. Thanks a million, as always, for joining us. Now, time to take a quick, quick ad break at uh, five past eight this Thursday morning. Matt Williams will be with us after this to continue our Ireland-France build-up. Back in a sec. OTB. Six minutes past eight on this Thursday morning. Time to continue our build-up to Ireland versus France this Saturday afternoon in the Six Nations. Delighted to welcome to the show this morning, Matt Williams. Morning, Matt. Morning, mate. How are you? Keeping well, thanks. Keeping well. Uh, this this favourites tag that we were just talking about there before the ad break. Uh, Ireland are wearing it well, number one in the world. Um, do you think we're, we're right to be confident ahead of this Saturday? I certainly have a right to be confident here. Yeah. Uh, 12 games in a row at the Aviva. Unbelievable performances since uh, November 21. Uh, spectacular style of rugby that is uh, long overdue in Irish rugby. I've been calling for it for 20 years, and, and finally we've got a coach that's brave enough to implement it and look at the success we're having. Uh, the only caution I would tell everyone is forget the world rankings. They, mm. They're a waste of – I'm not criticising world rugby because until we all play each other in the same calendar year, they are a mathematical estimation. I think what everyone has to realise is that there is very little between the top eight teams in the world right now, which is the first time in my lifetime I can say that. Usually there's an ocean between number eight and number one, and there's not. So every team is capable of beating every other team on any given day in the top eight. And we saw that in November. Australia beat Scotland, should have beaten France and could have beaten Ireland. Australia are ranked seven. Argentina have beaten uh, New Zealand. Uh, Australia and England in the one calendar year, and, uh, and they're ranked by, out of the top eight. So, you know, there's th- this this notion of we're clinging to number one. Um, you know, it doesn't really matter. It's it's not important. All that's important is statistics and is winning and trophies. Forget the world rankings. So, what's happening on Saturday? You've probably got the best team in the world, and that's that's my opinion and a lot of other people's opinion coming to the Aviva. And so this will be the biggest test in Andy Farrell's um, time as coach at, at home. And it'll be a wonderful game, a great day, but let, let's let's look at it in that light, not not on 1v2 and all that because really, you know, it's, 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 it's not right. It's not accurate for people to, to think that. It's a number that's made up on statistics. And I'll tell you why. Um, Australia, um, Ireland played South Africa... Uh, in November for the first time since 2017, I think it might have been 18, Australia have played them twice each year mm. in that period. So it's, Ireland's played them once in, in five or six years, Australia played them 12 times. Yeah. So it's not apples and apples. I'm not saying that as an Australian. It's the same with New Zealand and everyone. What we have got, we have got a great Irish side on our hands who are playing brilliant rugby. That's what we got. Yeah, it is skewed a little bit when you when you think about the fixtures and who plays who more regularly, and that probably speaks to that as well—the competitiveness of the games of the weekend with Scotland beating England, the Twickenham, and and yeah. Italy pushing France all the way. Is is that a dangerous time for Ireland to have France off the back of a, of a game against Italy where they where they know in the next game they have they have so much more to improve? 
it's no good time to take on France. <laughs> well, that's <laughs> a fair point, yeah. You know, it's, it's, this is a, I think to put it in perspective the, the, for everyone at home, this is a French side that's been on the plan planning boards probably since 2016. So the French Federation that long ago sat down and said, look, we're going to have a crack at, at the 2023 World Cup. What have we got to do to be successful in that? So while they had a group planning the bid, they also had a group planning the team. And I know that for a fact because I was, I'm here in France and I'm around the academies. And what they've done is specifically target the age group. So they worked out, okay, in 2023, who's going to be in that side? Who's going to be in that 20, that 22 to 28 to 30 year bracket? And let's really go and work. Let's invest in our underage teams. Let's invest in the academies. Let's give grants to all the academies across France for equipment and weights and coaching. And let's drive. Let's have a big talent ID program. And let's go at the 20s. So a few years ago, when these guys were coming through, they made the under 20s final three years in a row and won two. Now, this is a long-term plan that's aimed to peak in November 2023. Mm. And this French side is not an accident. It, it is a plan. So we are coming up against a really great French team that also play great rugby, full of fantastic athletes that are brilliantly coached by Fabien Galtier in a revolution for French rugby in that he has adopted basically what uh, the, the coaching philosophies of non-French, of the non-French countries like New Zealand, Australia, uh, South Africa and, and Ireland, England, in that he appoints assistant coaches and empowers them to run sections of the team. Now, that was a very un-French way of looking at it. He's also brought them up to world-class uh, strength and conditioning levels, which, again, five years ago, well, France was not the case in France. And so you have a really well-conditioned team, brilliantly coached, with exceptional talent, playing a really established style of rugby and like Ireland, they have won a lot of games in a row. They've also beaten South Africa and New Zealand, like Ireland. They've developed their talent. When they went to Australia and, and Japan in the last two big tours, they left all their players at home and took complete new teams, the seconds and thirds teams, who performed exceptionally well. So they have depth, they have skill, they have talent, they're really well led and really well coached. And the country, that is France, is totally behind them. It is an extraordinary feeling, I'm um, talking to you from France, to see how the the nation is united behind a team in coming into a World Cup year. So I, I think we have to be really cognitive of the size and enormity of the task that is facing Ireland on Saturday. This is, this is harder than the All Blacks or South Africa or the Wallabies or anyone else who has come to Ireland in Andy Farrell's time. This is a different boost. This is an exceptionally good side. They played poorly last week. Uh, will they bounce back or are they in bad form? Look, the Six Nations week to week is really hard to tell. But I can guarantee this, it's, it's going to be a great battle. Yeah, that was sort of my question, Matt. I was thinking, where are France from this time last year? Mm. Uh, interesting one. That they certainly didn't play well on Saturday. Now, referee Carly, the English referee, penalised them off the park. It was really hard to them. Their discipline was poor. Uh, I, I, the trouble is we don't know, but I think what we've France have earned the right to is a bad game. So they have played so exceptionally. They've won the Grand Slam. 
that they've beaten South Africa and New Zealand at home. They have been an extraordinary team along the similar lines of Andy Farrell's team for about the same time period, maybe a little bit more than, than Andy Farrell's team. And they are, they have uh, gelled and, and been very cohesive. They weren't there last week. So every team is, can be forgiven a game. That's, that's the nature of the beast. Uh, and we also, we, we, you know, I've been very dismissive of Italy. It's wonderful to see Italy coming back. They've been Australia, beaten Wales and pushed France. So we have to say that this Italian team under Kieran Crowley has mightily improved and that's great for the competition. Uh, as long as they don't do it against Ireland and our teams. No one wants it. Everyone wants Italy to play well as long as it's not against them. So I, I, I'm, I think that the jury's out, but I, if, expecting anything than, a, than an absolutely titanic performance from France on Saturday, who understand fully what this game is about, uh, I, I think would be naive. There's a little bit of strength and depth in this Irish team, Matt, that um, that maybe we, we have seen in previous years, but it feels more concrete now. Like You, you almost feel if Johnny Sexton were to get injured to touch wood, Ross Byrne is there and in form and ready to take the spot. And, and as Ashin said at the top of the show this morning, you know, Gibson Park, pulling out of the game against Wales so late and Murray just steps in seamlessly. Um, there's, some, there's something in that. The, 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 this team is there for each other, but also when there are moments like that where there are late injuries or pullouts, you, you don't feel as concerned as maybe years gone by. It's because of the quality of the depth that Andy Farrell's put together. I mean, there, there's an apocryphal story that a, a late call-up player was in the huddle for Ireland um, on the, uh, the day before the game and he's there and he's got tears in his eyes and says... Boys, I'll die for you tomorrow. And one of the other guys looks at him and says, you probably will. Now, um, you know, that's because the, the depth in Irish international rugby was poor. You had 15, 17 players. Look what Andy Farrell's done in the last 12 months. He's, he's sent a, a, a developing team to play New Zealand Maori in November. He's, and, and, and the national team coached those guys. So they doubled their work, workload. They then played. New Zealand uh, up here in a week of a test match in November, again doubling their workload. They sent teams to South Africa and sent the national, not not Andy himself, but national coaches to take those teams in Africa. There, there's been a, a plan in place and a really good plan and I, I take my absolutely salute Andy Farrell in, in what he's done with this and it, the way he's conducted himself in the last 15 months has been superb and we're seeing it on the field. Depth at international level is not an accident. It has to be cultivated and developed. And uh, Andy Farrell is doing that. And we're seeing this trend around the world going back to the A-teams. Now, the A-teams were big in the amateur days in the early 2000s, and they got scrapped because of money. And what have people found out? We're not producing the next tier of player. They're not ready for that giant step from club to international. And when, when the big game comes, we bring these guys up, they fail. And they don't fail because they haven't got talent. They fail because they haven't been developed. And Farrell has developed this group of players so that we've got Craig Casey coming in. Well, it sounds like it until the team announced we don't know. We've got Craig Casey coming in. Look at the, look at the journey Finlay Bieland's been on. He played really, really well last mm. week. Now, he's got a massive challenge, uh, you know, Cyril Bai and Moshon and, and Antonio, probably the biggest and best front row in the world. Like He's got a battle on his hands, but I think the young man's up to it. That, that doesn't happen by accident. That's, that's a plan and that's development. That's why and, – and Andy Farrell, you know, I heard a comment from him saying last week against Wales, you know, the roof's closed so it's noisy, but he also wanted a dry pitch. But he also said, I hope the bus is late. Now, why would a coach say that? 
He's trying to put his team in adversity before yeah. the World Cup. Mm-hmm. He wants them to deal with adversity. And so while well, everyone's going, oh, you know, everyone's focused on this game, and I get that, and it's an important game, and so you should focus on this game and the Six Nations and so on. Andy Farrell, for the first time as a coach, an Irish coach in my time, and that's 22 years I've been, 23 years I've been doing with Irish rugby, he has got a long-term plan for the World Cup. He is not totally focused on the Six Nations. He wants to win the Six Nations, and Ireland are a very good spot to win the Six Nations. But there is a subplot, and that subplot is in will be in late October in Paris. Irish coaches in the past have not done that well enough, and this guy is doing it really well. He won't mind that he's got three or four guys out getting experience against France because there's going to be a day at the World Cup where they take on France and he might have injuries, and he's hoping that this will this will they'll grow and develop and move forward. Yeah, it's a very good point. Like I actually do feel he wants these challenges. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. yes, of course, it, it's disappointed to have players out, but he wants to see how the team grow and and how they they can play without these major players. And as we've seen, Conor Murray and the likes, just Finley Beelham just slaughtered right in. But just when you mentioned Matt about the the World Cup, obviously Ireland play France in the World Cup, so. Is there a feeling that Ireland need to be France at home to be able to beat them in France? <laughs> Look, it's a long time before we face that challenge. The, the French are coming here knowing that they've got one more game after this at Twickenham and then they're not leaving home till next Six Nations. They've got the whole World Cup in their beloved culture with the support of their team the way they like to eat, the way they like to conduct themselves, the way which is different to the way we do things in Ireland and and, and the UK and the Anglo-Celtic world. It's, it's a very different way they prepare. They know this is their second last one. So they're coming here full of confidence knowing what they've got in the World Cup. I don't know that it's, it's essential. Like if we beat France, does that guarantee us we're going to beat them then? It doesn't. But it would give Ireland a lot of confidence and momentum. Uh, building towards that. And I think there's one thing we've got to keep in mind. One loss leading into a World Cup doesn't mean the World Cup's going to fail. Mm. Like, you can't just keep winning every game forever. Does, the game doesn't work like that. Somewhere along the line, we're gonna, everyone loses. So, But it's like last week where France didn't lose, they played poorly. And that's the difference between a great side and an average side. Yeah. But even if Ireland lost, it doesn't mean it's the end of their World Cup. Just as if France lose, it's not the end of their World Cup. So I think we've got to keep all of these things in perspective. Mm-hmm. It's a major step along the path towards the World Cup, but it is not the World Cup. We're not there till we're there. So this is this is the Six Nations. But it, it, France will get confidence out of this and just say, like um, Andy Farrell, Fabien Galtier is an exceptionally smart guy. He will be saying to his team, this is tough. This is the number one team in the world. They haven't lost in 12 games at home. This is your greatest challenge before you step into a major game at the World Cup. That's the way they'll be looking at it. So they'll be coming very prepared. So, And, you know, it's such a close game to call. Like, you know, like I don't think anyone can give you an opinion that's that's really accurate. It's just an estimate because there's – there's just so many unknowns here and, and so little between the teams. Yeah, it feels a little bit like a, like a mock leaving cert, like a big test, but there are big ones down the, down the, down the tracks as well that you have to keep an eye on. Um, even looking defensively at, at France, Matt, so their stats from 2022, 
most turnovers of any nation, missed the fewest tackles, third best tackle success rate. Sean Edwards has done a serious, serious bit of work. But but last weekend was was quite out of character for them in that they conceded 18 penalties, which is the most of any team apparently coached by Ed- Edwards in, in the last two decades. So you would imagine they won't be quite as ill-disciplined this weekend. It's 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 something that, that they were go- they're going to have to shore up because if they concede 18 penalties against Ireland, there's only going to be one winner. Oh, absolutely. Um, during the coverage of the Italian game, there was a number of uh, close-ups of Sean Edwards, who I've known for many years, <laughs> and he was looking like thunder. He, <laughs> he was a very unhappy camper. You know, and here's the other thing. The Italian performance allows the French coaches to put their grumpy hats on all week and be short and angry and snappy and demanding and reminding their players they, they let down their own standards, and Edwards will do that. Robbie Carney, I'm not talking out of school here, Robbie Carney told me a great story the other day when we were on TV and said that on the Lions tour, Edwards uh, put a video up in one of the warm-up games and, and in the defence one of the Lions players was down in the, in the background getting attention and not in the defensive line. And he stopped the, the film and asked the player, he said, is your leg broken? And he said, he said, no, coach, leg's not broken. He said, the only reason ever on the rest of this tour you're not in a defensive line is if your leg's broken. <laughs> and so, you know, he means business. You know, he, he's old school rugby league from the north. He played rugby league with, oh, that jersey in the background, 1989. Balmain Tigers in Sydney, he was a member of that side. Um, and a great guy. I really like him. He's a really good bloke, really unusual guy. But tough as nails, old school north of England. And if you don't measure up, you know it pretty quick. And that French team have responded to him. And as the statue just rattled out there, not surprisingly. But it's not surprising either that that this that the French team will turn up with a lot more aggression and a lot more purpose than they did last week. Uh, and Edwards will make sure of that. You know, he, he's one of the best ever uh, as far as demanding defensive coaches. And, again, that just proves what, how good Galtier is. Bringing in a non-French coach is, is really unheard of for French rugby. Uh, yet he's, he's been rightfully lauded as having the most impact on the team. So it tells you a lot about Sean and it tells you a lot about Fabian. Finally, Matt, before we let you go, score prediction. Uh, Andy Don was, was quite com- confident last night. What did he say, 10 to 15 points or something yeah. for, for Ireland? Are, are you going along similar lines or a closer game than that? Oh, man, I don't know what Andy's on. <laughs> yeah. He's on positive juice, that's what he's, he's on. very positive juice, isn't yeah. he? Hey? He's always been a positive guy when he was a kid. Um, no, no, I, I think this is a this is a cigarette paper between the sides, especially with the injuries to Ireland. We've got to wait and hear what what comes out. Um, France are going to be a little bit stronger. The back row from from Toulouse, as we injured last week, comes back on the bench. We believe there's going to be another scrum half and uh, Le Grec will go back to Racing. So the French side will be a little bit stronger. It'll be a bit better for last week. Ireland with a few other injuries. Um, look, this, But there is the Aviva factor. It's just too close to call. You know, it's head and heart. Head probably says France, but heart says Ireland. I just think they've got something special at home, especially if Sexton's still on the field. But, look, this is going to go – could go either way. But but I, I think Ireland could, can do it, but it's going to be so close because there's so much riding on the go for both sides. 
It's it's an extraordinary game. Doesn't mean, and if they lose, it doesn't mean it finished. And if they win, it doesn't mean they're going to win. <laughs> but they both they just they're just like these two giant bulls going at each other, and they. It's going to be just one of the best games of rugby that we, Ireland has been in the island for many, many years. Yeah, I think you're right. It'll be a cracking, cracking game. Matt, enjoy the match. Thanks a million, as always, for this morning for joining us. Pleasure now. Great stuff. 8.25am on this Thursday morning's OTBEM. Brought to you live, as always, each morning with Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. Time to say a very good morning to the editor of United We Stand, Andy Mitten. Morning, Andy. Good morning. That was a, yeah, I didn't know what mood you're going to be in this morning because I guess... It's two points dropped, but then when you're 2-0 down, you'll take it, won't you? Yeah, I'm all right. It's a big month for Manchester United. True. Huge games every couple of days. Tired, if anything else. <laughs> and as you say, Manchester United were 2-0 were down. That was a big, big surprise, given how poor Leeds United have been, especially in their games against Manchester United since they were promoted under Marcelo Bielsa. And... It was a really unusual feeling at Old Trafford because Leeds were ahead after in the first minute. They, they laid a trap. Manchester United fell into it. Bruno Fernandes lost possession. Great finish for Leeds. And then at halftime, Eric Ten Hag told his players, do not let the same thing happen again. But the same thing, or very similar, did happen again. Lost possession. Suddenly Leeds are 2-0 up. And Manchester United had a huge task, especially considering um, two of the best players, Casemiro, probably the most important player in the team and Christian Eriksen were, were absent there were other injuries and absences as well so the fight back was, was enjoyable for the people there the atmosphere was really good it was very loud in the away end when Leeds were going ahead and then Old Trafford sort of surged and I, I, I didn't even though the goals were scored in good time I don't think Manchester United were playing well enough mm. to, to, to justify um the, the, the three points I thought Leeds were, were worthy of their, their draw then again Manchester United had lots of chances came close so for a neutral it was a very very exciting uh, match for those who were there it wasn't on British TV was it was it on was it televised in Ireland no no I think it was, it was all the New Zealand and South African channels and all the, mm-hmm. the dodgy channels that had it last night yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I think I, I asked someone on TV after the game there were like four or five territories in the world which weren't showing the match. And North Korea was one, Iran was one, and we've just named a couple of the other two. So <laughs> it, it seems strange on one level because there's a huge rivalry between Manchester United and Leeds, these two big northern predominantly working-class cities, only 42 miles apart, and Leeds United are a huge football club. But that rivalry has waned as they've been out of the Premier League. They, they were out of... Uh, the Premier League from, I think, 2004 to 2020. And there's a whole generation of fans where that rivalry didn't really exist uh, to them. But you felt it last night. I was stood outside Old Trafford last night when Leeds fans were walking into the stadium and it was pretty vicious. And they were flanked by um, lots and lots of police. And it was a very sort of laddish, raffish, uh, Leeds following and they were walking in and the the songs were pretty unsavoury on both sides and I like rivalries I like great rivalries in football I like the edge in football but there was there was stuff there last night which was beyond the pale and that was before the game and then the game started and that was even livelier uh, yeah and of course the, the 
the press position in in, in Old Trafford is is very close to the to the away fans. So you'll you'll have heard a lot of that uh, vitriolic uh, chanting coming, as you say, from both sides. It, it is something that that you know we've noticed even. I don't know if it's a post-COVID thing, but the the rivalries are back. And as you said, there was a generation that they totally missed out on on Manchester United Leeds United rivalries. But it seems to be heading back to where it was before, as you say, two thousand and four that era. I still think Leeds need to win a game, which they came close to doing, for it to have a real edge because. The rivalry was at its keenest when Leeds United had very, very good teams. And there was a time in the 60s where Manchester United really struggled to beat Leeds United. And they they were champions of England. They picked up a lot of fans because of how good they were at times in the 60s and the 70s. Uh, I I believe a lot of fans in Ireland of a certain generation are are Leeds fans. So there's a pretty significant um, following outside of Leeds as well. Um, I, I... could hear the, the away fans loud and clear, but it was outside the ground where it was at its most vicious because you had um, a line of police and um, police on horses and songs were flying back and forward. It, it was all pretty dis- distasteful and how it was years ago. And at the start of the 90s, if you would have asked Manchester United fans who were their three biggest rivals, and we regularly did that in United We Stand, it would be Liverpool, Leeds, Manchester City, often in that order. Mm. And by, I remember 2004 speaking to Roy Keane and saying, who are your biggest rivals? And he said, Arsenal. He said, I know it's different for fans. I know you'll mention teams like Leeds and Liverpool and Manchester City, but for the players, it's Arsenal. It had moved on and it carried on moving on. And in many ways, Leeds got left behind Go to Ellen Road. It's it, it it's missing like twenty five years of any development. It really is aged, scruffy, visceral, very real, and for better or for worse, because sometimes the the Premier League can be overly sanitised. And if you go to Leeds United and Manchester United go there on Sunday, you really know where you are. It's got a very strong identity that football club. Yeah, on the pitch last night, I wondered, was the rivalry there as much for Man United as it was for Leeds? Like those slow starts to each half, I thought was maybe a telling factor. If you're in a big rivalry game, you know, it's tension, it's fast start, it's energetic when that's not really what it was like for for Man United. Manchester United started the game poorly, very poorly. If you look at the league positions, if you look at the fact that Manchester United had won 13 consecutive home games, they were clear favourites, even without those players, because Leeds were missing players as well. I think the captain was in the stands. And technically, they're not as good as Manchester United. And that's been shown in the games since they came up. Loads of goals, but Manchester United have absolutely steamrolled them. So do those current players who started, you know, does Sabitzer know about the rivalry or Veghorst between Manchester United and Leeds United? Probably not. It's an education to a lot of them. Eric Tenog's never managed a Manchester United-Leeds United game and they completely shocked Manchester United. Old Trafford was reduced to being stunned twice as they scored both of their goals and they had other chances. They hit the post and David De Gea made a good save in the first half. So even though Manchester United had most of the possession, it was a very disjointed performance. And in the middle of the park, Manchester United did not convince at all. So Sabitzer, who didn't, didn't play too badly, um, 
he was making his his first start since his loan move, but more than once I heard we're really missing Casemiro and Ericsson, and that that's understandable because of how influential both of them have been. Fred Fred did not have a good game. He was one of the replacements. Lost possession too many times. Uh, Alejandro Garnacho, clearly talented teenager, very frustrating to watch last night. Lost possession a lot of times. Leeds had heart. They had fight. You saw when they scored the goals, they just all went together. And maybe in disbelief because nothing was expected from them, but they definitely had a good team spirit. And the away fans were really, really up for it. I know it was, I think it was mentioned last night, yeah, that four points out of a possible 15 in the five games that Casemiro has been missing for United this season. On Veghorst, um, Andy, like you could see the pictures of him in the stands when he was taken off and clearly not happy to be taken off because he's not scoring the goals that he wants to be or getting involved maybe or, or even holding the ball up like a lot of United fans expected him to be doing. Um, is that is that working? Is the Veghorst stuff working? Because as soon as Rashford then moves into the middle, United all of a sudden appeared livelier and more likely to score. He was clearly frustrated and I think strikers are when they don't score. He had almost no service and strikers need service. Uh, he didn't have a good game and he isn't the type of player like Anthony Martial who can stretch the lines and he's a reference point and at his best and he's had some decent performances. Did okay at Arsenal, did well at Nottingham Forest away in the first leg uh, of the, the semi-final he was effective, and I know that Marcus Rashford enjoyed playing with him, but he didn't have a good game against Leeds United. And as you say, when the changes were made, Marcus Rashford moved from being started on the right, but he only started in that position because of injuries and absences to others. So the substitutions were probably the bright point of Manchester United's night, with Jaden Sancho especially lively, and he scored. The two goals were very good. Marcus Rashford's header was excellent. But you had a side where Diogo Dalot was coming back in. Players who'd been playing all the time were missing. And it probably showed that Manchester United's squad depth is not very deep. When you've got that first 11 with Casemiro, um, they've beaten anybody. And I also think there, there were going to be trip-ups. This is Ten Hag's first season. Mm. This is football. You can't win every game. You, you can't sound too spoiled. United have just won 13 games on the bounce at Old Trafford. That is a phenomenal record. And even now, in the league, the the, the points uh, ratio for, for matches at Old Trafford is still really impressive. But it still felt disappointing last night, the performance, the result. And I think Manchester United could have gone level with Manchester City on points, played a game more. So you feel frustrated. Um, the stat about Casemiro uh, is, is a good one. But it's one win in four now in the league for Manchester United. So it is a little bit of a stumble. And that can't become too much of a stumble because February is a really, really important month. Mm. You've got the two games against Barcelona, who aren't bad. And you've got Leeds on Sunday. And you've got a really difficult game in the League Cup final against Newcastle United at the end of this month. Yeah, when you think about the start of the season to now you know, you would take it. You know, it's been unbelievable in the last few months. But just speaking about Marcus Rashford, is this the best that we've ever seen, Marcus Rashford? Yeah, I think in confidence, I think in terms of his scoring record, he scored again at Old Trafford. 
that was six consecutive game that he scored at Old Trafford, scoring really good goals, scored with a header last night. It was a fantastic mm-hmm. header. And him and Casemiro have probably been Manchester United's best two players this season. I dread to think what Manchester United would look like without Marcus Rashford because there is a real shortage up front. You think back to the start of last season and all the players that United had up front, Cavani, Ronaldo, Sancho. Sancho's been missing since October. He came back and was probably the bright spot, but Marcus Rashford is a vital player for, for Manchester United. And one of the players who can can draw those winning moments, can change a game, which the very best players can do. And he's really needed because there's so many games, it's relentless. And you're seeing some pretty weird results, not just in England. Real Madrid are starting to uh, trip a little bit because there's too many matches in this season with where the World Cup took a big chunk out of it. So whoever fares best in that really hectic schedule is probably going to be um, triumphant. Jadon Sancho, who you mentioned, Andy, um, like really, really good to see him back from a United fans' perspective, and and he just looks. You mentioned the word confidence there for Marcus Rashford. He's definitely a confidence player, Jadon Sancho, and you could even see Eric ten Hag break break a little smile when when Sancho scored the goal. And of course, he probably was expecting his team to go on and and, and score the winner. But Sancho, with a smile on his face, is is a dangerous proposition, and and, and clearly. The time he spent away doing his own individual training and, and stuff in the Netherlands has 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 worked a treat so far. Yeah, he's still early, but you're right. And Eric Ten Hag was effusive about him after the match in the press conference. Talked about him being a brilliant footballer, and I think he's handled him well. The, the early evidence suggests that uh, in October his form had, had fallen away badly. It was stark. Uh, um, or Nicosia away when he he was afraid or seemingly afraid to run at Cypriot defenders and pass the ball back, which led to a goal. So he's gone away, uh, a specialised training programme just for him. He's been brought in slowly, um, first of all back to Carrington, then within the group, then full first team training. Now he's playing again. Now he's scoring again. He played well. He made a difference. He got absolutely clattered and smashed to the ground. So... That was like a welcome back to real life football against Leeds United in a big, dirty Northern <laughs> match between two teams who do not like each other. So if he's fit and playing well, he could be very important for Manchester United and needed as well. You saw uh, Alejandro Garnacho, he's, he's still very wasteful, he's still very young. Mm. Jadon Sancho is much more experienced, but... Eric Tenag really spoke well of him after the game. And of course, that's to help lift his confidence as well, because those quotes feed through and people like me talk about them on shows like this. And that's probably good, good management because Jaden Sancho will see them and think, all right, the manager's backing me. And he absolutely is. Yeah, I was just going to ask about the relationships that Eric Tenag has with the players, like listening to him speak about Sancho like that and as he was coming off the bench he you know he sort of had his hand around him and they were smiling and you know it just feels like everything that he's been through to give him that time and you know to build him up with his confidence it feels that Eric Den Hag has this good relationship with, with players is that fair to say? Yeah it is fair to say they respect him I don't think you'll ever have a situation where all 25 squad members are thinking 
this guy's the best thing I've ever known in my life because you're always going to have unhappy footballers or sports people who, who are not chosen, uh, who feel slighted over non-selection. But absolutely, your point is true. Um, he's really rated by the players. The results are good. The performances have been good. And that all just feeds into positivity. You also have a couple of players who left the club in the summer um, who... I was told consistently were a negative drain on the mood at, at Carrington. I think there's still work to do, but Eric Tenaga has really impressed Manchester United fans with his management so far. Not just of uh, team selection, but the way he's dealt with, with big issues um, such as uh, Cristiano Ronaldo. And I mean, there's so many challenges for him. Look at the the case with Mason Greenwood. This is beyond the pale. This is stuff which a, a normal football manager would not expect to deal with. There's uncertainty about the ownership, future direction of the club. He spent a huge amount of money in the summer. He brought in a lot of players. United spent more than they'd expected to. So bedding all that down after a terrible start to the season into something that looks like a good team is means that Eric Ten Hag's stock is incredibly high and he deals with the media well. He's witty. His English has improved even in his short time in England. And I mean, I, I spoke to him for an hour in December and came out of that thinking my opinion of him is even higher. And then I get all the sort of side feedbacks. Like my mum bumped into Eric Ten Hag in the supermarket uh, today. Um, she said he was really friendly. You know, <laughs> I, I, I get that on a pretty consistent basis. Right. And it's good. It's good. Um, I got one a couple of months ago. Uh, did you know that Eric Ten Hag cycled to the reserve game last night? <laughs> no. Yeah, it caused a little bit of a stir. The uh, security weren't expecting him turning up on his bike. Right. <laughs> so we asked him about that and he said, well, why shouldn't I? Yeah. I'm Dutch. It's a bike. What are bikes for? They're for riding. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's a fair point. If he's going to come in any mode of transport as a Dutchman, it's going to be a bike. Uh, no, it's good to hear those anecdotes about Eric Ten Hag. He's clearly bedding into the club club very well. You touched on something there, Andy, um, and I did want to get your thoughts on that. The um, the future ownership of the club is very much up in the air. I know, is it Friday week, the 17th of February, is the, the deadline for, for people to, I guess, I guess, express their interest in buying the club. Uh, due diligence ongoing at the moment. I mean, Jim Ratcliffe was the name that that was constantly mentioned, but these uh, these uh, rumours of Qatari investment, uh, is there something there? Is that uh, legitimate? And how do you expect the, the sale of the club to go uh, between now and, I guess, the, the deadline of, of expressions of interest, at least? There's so much smoke and mirrors going on, so I've got lots of different contacts consistently telling me stuff, and I'm almost reluctant to report on it because you can't get a handle on what the truth is mm. because... It's in the Glazers' interest for there to be an auction situation where you've got several parties bidding for Manchester United. And I see some of the news coming out, and I think this is designed to flush out potential suitors. But I'm getting like three different versions of the same event, different sources, and good sources as well. And there's a lot of uncertainty. I think it's fair to say Manchester United is desired. I think the price is very high. I think there's been times in this bidding process when there hasn't been any bids in the room. So the banker's job is to drum up interest. Uh, United were in Davos, for example, the World Economic Forum. The people who go there are not renowned for being short of money. Mm. And 
if they can have a situation, even if it's played out through the media, of uh, different suitors uh, from different parts of the world, that would suit the Glazers. It would increase the the, the share price. It, of course, adds to uncertainty. I think it could definitely split Manchester United's fan base because you will have people who are very uncomfortable about the prospects of a sports washing project, for example, and you will have others who do not care about it at all and say, I just want to buy Mbappe and win football trophies. And Manchester United's fan base is so big, diverse, the the age demographics, um, you saw that even in the reaction to the Mason Greenwood stuff last week. So it adds to uncertainty. I don't know who's going to bid for it. Jim Ratcliffe's bid is um, was a hard one. He's the wealthiest man or has been in from the UK, but it's not just about the UK now, it's on a global scale. And let's see what happens there. I think there'll probably be, uh, because of the deadline that's been set, we'll be hearing a lot more about this in the next week or two. Absolutely. Andy, we'll keep an eye on that. As always, great stuff. Thanks a million. Thank you. Brilliant stuff, Andy. Mitten there, the editor, of course, of United We Stand, 8.46am on this Thursday morning's OTBM. It is time for Virtual Insanity. You have entered Power Drive. Oh, wow! I don't get sick of that, ever. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, John Duggan, good morning. Good morning. I kind of want, you know those scratch records that kind of stop something? <laughs> I kind of want to get to the stage now where we do it. Yeah. And it just stops. Cause it's, do, you have, do you ever get people saying that to you in, in, when they meet you in person, the fans of the show, or the fans of JD, the virtual insanity intro sting? You have entered Power Drive? No, nobody's ever uh, talked about the virtual insanity. Really? Uh, what, 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 are they, what, what do the OTB fans and the John Duggan fans usually say to you in the streets? Uh, how are you doing? Uh, well done. <laughs> well, John. Well done. Uh, some fella came up to me in Camden Town last October when I was waiting out, waiting for my nephew having a drink. Just came up out of the blue. How's it going? <laughs> so, As if you knew him. Yeah, and I ended up having a drink with him and his, and his girlfriend. So, uh, oh, yeah. that's nice. Uh, so it's, um, it's just like general, like, what's the story? I want to, you know, how's it going? Do you like when that happens, John? Uh, of course, yeah. It's um, People are always really, really sound. People are always much sounder in person, folks, than they are on social media, yeah. <laughs> I find. Um, Absolutely. Um, I've never met anybody in person that's been negative or disrespectful or, 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 or not nice, whereas social media is a, obviously a different beast for the minority that are on there that are uh, idiots, but... Most then again, most people on social media are pretty sound as well. So, I get yeah, it, it, it is a bit of a. Obviously, we're now on camera because for so many years you'd have been on the radio and you'd be completely anonymous, even mm-hmm. though people might know your voice, or whatever. But now, when you're on camera, uh, you're not known. You're not famous, but you're not not known either. So you're kind of in that purgatory. You're in that kind of limbo of the twilight zone where <laughs> yeah. uh, you're you're not an unknown, but you're not uh, you're not cool either. So you're kind of in this. Oh, you're that you're that person who does that thing, aren't you? <laughs> Uh, yeah. So you, you do get people sh- sh- shouting at you on the street sometimes, going, "All right, what story?" Well, <laughs> um, uh, oh, you're off the ball, aren't you? Yeah. Uh, so you get a bit of that, um, and obviously, look, you've just got to have, I suppose, keep your wits about you because you don't want to end up in, uh, I don't know, some WhatsApp group or something. Oh, did you see your man <laughs> dance on the tables yeah, last yeah. weekend? Yeah, you've got to be aware. Yeah, time. Yeah. Have don't you dance on any tables, folks. Yeah. Uh, do you be signing autographs or getting selfies, taking selfies, John? Or 
Uh, I, I don't think I've got to that level. I said, I said we're, I still, we're in the uncool phase of, of, of people that are known, I think. Maybe it might be different for Ashley. <laughs> No. I'll be different for you, Shane. Do, do you get it, Ashley? Um, no, very, very rare. Like, there might be, you know, young girls or something like that at games and things like that that might come up, which is lovely. It's <laughs> I love that. Um, a few pictures here and there, but very, very rare. I don't think I'm at any near that level for know, people to... I don't know. I've, I've no people, people bobby pints occasionally. Ah, well, that's, that's, that's ideal. Yeah, you're welcome that. That's what you want. Um, you want that completely. So I'd be like chatting away to somebody and, you know, oh, do you want a drink, whatever. Yeah, so that would be pretty cool. But, but you're, uh, you're right about the in-person. I, I get a, I get a, I have a, my biggest fan is on, on the YouTube comments is Car Crash. His name is Car Crash on YouTube. He, he gives me dog's abuse, usually on a Thursday or Friday. He's, he's here this morning. He says, no Adrian to keep Shane in check. So I expect nine segments on naff things Shane likes while I'm off to cut my feet. Enjoy the show, guys. Every Friday he gives me. But I, I'd say if I met Car Crash, and I'm sure his name's not Car Crash, I'm sure if I met him in person, he'd be lovely, lovely man or woman it's yeah. just, it's just I, I, know, I know of a radio show a very very popular radio show in Ireland I won't mention the name of the radio show that they were getting getting trolled on one of these message boards a few years ago and they rang up the person or whatever they, they, they rang up I know I think it was a texter mm. they actually rang the person up and I was like oh so once the, you know so yeah they would never say it in person yeah. it's just on the I didn't mean it I didn't mean it there's a cowardice to think of what a lot of people what a lot of people say and on social media but you got, if you're going to go out there and put yourself up uh, with a profile then you have to take it don't you well, most people are most people are lovely um, yeah so I'm delighted to be with two celebrities this morning Ashley and John it's, um, it's fantastic the, uh, the virtual insanity John we're, we're heading to we are Y-listers we are Y-listers uh, in the celebrity yeah, stakes um, not bad or as I say in Sesame Street Z <laughs> so our first selection is uh, Patrick Cantlay for the Phoenix Open. So eight of the world's top ten, and Patrick Cantlay number five, sixty to eight, twenty to one for our virtual money. And last year he was uh, on his debut in this event. He was second, lost in the playoffs. So he loved his debut in Phoenix, tinkering a bit with his clubs. I'm not too worried about that. I and mean, people are saying that might put them off uh, Patrick Cantlay. But this guy is is like I think always underestimated in the game because he's an unassuming chap. Mm. But you just look at his stats. Ninth in strokes gained total last season. Eighth in par four performance, which is necessary at the TPC of Scottsdale. Um, fifth in birdie average. Sixth in scoring average. I think he's a rock solid player. I think a 20 to 1, 4 to 1 to get in the top eight. I think Patrick Cantley is a worthy headline pick for me this week. Obviously, Rory is playing so well, as is John Ram, so wouldn't put anybody off them. The second one I'm going to put up this morning on the show is Ricky Fowler. Uh, for each way, 55 to 1. Ricky Fowler is now working again with Butch Harmon, the best coach in the game. And you've seen an uptick in his form. He's 100th in the world, but he's 23rd in the standings on the tour this season. Three top 11s. Uh, played well at Torrey Pines a couple of weeks ago. If there's a second act in golf, Ricky Fowler might be it this year. I think he is the person you want to ride the wave with. Also, he won this tournament four years ago, and he's two solo seconds at 55 to 1. I think Ricky Fowler has the gravitas to compete with the top players if he's on the road back. We're still not 100% sure about that, but I think he could be Ricky Fowler 55 to 1 each way. And there's two other golfers which we put on the podcast as well. Check out the Virtual Insanity podcast, which is now on the OTB network, on the Go Loud network, um, for the picks as well, for the whole selection between uh, now and 2.15 when the tournament starts. Is the waste management, is this the one with the rowdy crowds? On it one, is. The, this the is the Super Bowl weekend, yeah. Uh, the 16th hole is like a kind of a bowl and uh, last year they were all throwing beer, um, gla- uh, kind of plastic beer beer glasses on the green. So and it's I, for one hole on, on the tournament, on, at the course? Yeah. The 16th only? The 16th only, yeah. So you've got to go through under a tunnel and then you come out to the tee and it's like, like a stadium uh, situation. Um, and it's par three and it's like, Ugh! and you know, then you hit your tee shot and they boo it if it's not close enough. And then if it goes close, they go crazy. 
Um, Harry Higgs took off his shirt there last year. Um, uh, Tiger Woods got a hold of one there in the late 90s, and it's worth checking out on YouTube. The place went absolutely crazy. So they're all just throwing. They're all just like getting tanked up and throwing um, plastic beer glasses on, on the green. That is not what you see at golf events. No, it's the one time of year, and it's great fun. Um, Everyone's quiet in the backswing, are they? Or is it, or is it just loud constantly? For no, I, I think there's generally respect there, but uh, it, it, they're pretty unforgiving if you, if you don't hit a, a good shot. That's what you want to see, like sports like golf and snooker, even snooker has the shootout now where fans drink in the crowd and they're constantly shouting, like even when players are taking shots and it's encouraged. It's good to see a little bit of experimentation. Well, it's good on once that. a year for the Super Bowl weekend. Um, obviously we have the Grieve of the Ryder Cup, um, the stadium atmosphere. And I think, st- like, I remember going to Portrush and the, the 18th hole was like very much built. Like, I really felt it for Larry, you know, in a much more kind of, not, not as boorish or boisterous a way, but a, in a real kind of... Irish positive fandom way mm. uh, for the thing with Port Russian. I think golf sometimes misses that because, like, see, golf has got ugly now anyway. So with the whole live thing, that um, you wonder how Cameron Smith feels this week not being part of this lineup. Um, so, um, like, if you if you had had fans at, at a much rowdier level for Reed and McElroy in Dubai, for example, mm. would it have been more fun? Yeah. Even when you're walking near a shot, there t- you are to stop. Like you know, even if you're a bit away, yeah, yeah. you have to stop. Like you are told, you know, stand still, and you might be nowhere near the shot. Like you're like, surely they're not going to hear my footsteps. <laughs> but it's very much like you know, all like everybody silent. Yeah. Yeah, respected, and yeah, you'd wonder if they had a little bit more atmosphere, and you know, would it add to it at all? That's that's that must be on your book. I'm just looking here. It's only 16 minute drive. If I've typed it incorrectly, from Glendale, where the Super Bowl is on, to Phoenix. So like, I mean, you're very close. Is the Super Bowl there this week. Super Bowl's in Glendale, Arizona. This is week. it? Yeah. Right. So I didn't know that. You're literally only a 20. Philadelphia drive. Eagles and the um, Kansas City Chiefs. Chiefs. Wow. Yeah. So um, a good weekend in Arizona. It would be. Yeah. Um, raising Arizona. If you uh, ever knew of the Nick Cage movie, right? And Holly Hunter. Oh, am I, I, am I no. showing my age here? Possibly. Obviously, yeah, it's a Coen Brothers film from 1987, Raising Arizona. I was in Arizona last summer, um, went to Flagstaff, Grand Canyon did, did all that as well, but uh, never made it down as far as Phoenix. Phoenix is a bit hotter, apparently. Sorry, much hotter. Right. Flagstaff, there's a little bit of, you got the meteor crater out in the, the desert as well, which is fantastic for, for space geeks. Uh, definitely a, a bucket list one for me, but yeah, I would, re- would recommend Arizona. Right. Amazing. Although I'm very pasty, so I burn at the thought of Arizona. So um, yeah, where your where your where your sunscreen if you're going? But yeah, maybe that's maybe that's one for next year, John. We'll, we'll all go off to the 16th at the waste management. Ah, so look, sounds like a plan. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. it didn't get in the top ten of my bucket list. Maybe it'll get in the top twenty <laughs> yeah. for my Twitter page. <laughs> John, great stuff. All right, folks. That is virtual insanity for this week. You have entered Power Drive. Yeah, it's 56 a.m. on Thursday morning's OTBM. It's a nice segue because I'm uh, delighted to welcome for a preview of this Sunday night's Super Bowl. Mike Carlson, morning. Mike, how are things? <laughs> morning. I thought I'd tuned into a travel show there. Some, you know, yeah, what are, what are your Arizona recommendations? Yeah, they, I mean, Glendale and Phoenix is a small center of town with a large collection of big suburbs, sort of. And, and that's what Glendale and Scottsdale, Scottsdale are. Um, right. And, um, yeah, I, I was just thinking when they were talking about the fans and the beer, you know, if this was the NFL, they would have like the 
um, P- PGA skills competition and they'd get three fans out there and put their beer cups on the green and then have the guys try to chip the ball into the, gr- into the beer cup. <laughs> yeah, just to add an extra element to it. I was actually I was doing yeah. my research during the week at Glendale, Arizona, founded by William John Murphy from New Hartford, New York, but his two parents emigrated from uh, County Antrim in Ireland. So nice. ah, there we, you go. we always yeah. find a link somewhere to the Super Bowl. I, I, I stayed in New Hartford, New York one time. Well, there it's, you go. It's, it's in the, the Utica Clinton area. Yeah, I was teaching there. Ah, brilliant! It's strange. We should we should do a travel slot with you at some point, Mike. Uh, but uh, I, I guess this morning. every every week. Give me a date. <laughs> yeah, we'll do exactly. Every week for a couple of years. <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll focus on uh, the action in Glendale uh, for this Sunday night. Uh, we've got the Kansas City Chiefs against the Philadelphia Eagles. A lot of the build-up is centered around one man's ankle. Um, Patrick Mahomes. How, how how crucial is it that that he's mobile? He's able to move. Uh, I guess for good reason. A lot of the, the build-up has been around Mahomes and his uh, his injury uh, and, and how he's holding up. Yeah, strangely enough, th- there should be almost as much uh, concern about Jalen Hurts' injury on mm. the opposite quarterback. But for Mahomes, given how he played against Cincinnati, it was called a high ankle sprain. But he played against Cincinnati two weeks ago as if it were a, a kind of minor sprain. He He wasn't fully mobile, but he wasn't sort of favoring limping too much, although as the game went on, it got worse. So obviously the the painkiller or, or whatever they gave him um, was what was wearing off. I'm I'm pretty much convinced that after two weeks of rest now, he should be pretty much back to, a, to 100%. And why it's so important for, for Kansas City is that Philadelphia has the best pass rush in the league. Um, they had 70 sacks during the season, which was, I think, the third best total ever. And they... They do it because their their front four defensive lineman is so strong, and they have they rotate about nine different guys through there. But they they have two the two tackles. All of their tackles who play inside are big. Um, one of them, John Hargreave, is is very quick as well. But they put lots of pressure up the middle, which is most quarterbacks, including Mahomes. That's their first kind of when they feel pressure. It usually comes from the outside, and their first instinct is to step forward in the pocket, just to mm. climb the pocket a little bit and make make a little more time for themselves. But of course, if you if you're the middle of your pocket is collapsing, then that becomes a problem. And then because of these big guys inside the the two ends for the Eagles. Um, and again, there's a rotation, but that gives them a lot of freedom to to move out wide and and rush, try to isolate the tackles. And the tackles are the weaker part of Kansas City's line. The the center is the 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 inside three are the are the stronger part. And if you were watching the cha- the um, conference championship games against the Giants, Hassan Reddick, who who is a defensive end, plays kind of like an outside linebacker, the same thing. But he had a brilliant game against them, and he's a, he's a quality pass rusher. So he would kind of be the guy they'll really want to be paying attention to. But but that whole line is so good that you can't really try to double people on a regular basis because. Even when you're playing five on four, they're they're good enough to beat you without adding extra pass rushers. And Mike, do we know if Patrick Mahomes has been training or is he oh, getting yeah, much he resting? Has. Okay, yeah, I mean, just uh, th- at the beginning of last week, they, they made a big deal about bringing him out at practice and you know showing him moving around fairly well and not walking in a boot or anything like that. So um, he's listed as full participation. The only real injury question. For Philadelphia, uh, for Kansas City, is Kadarius Tony, who is important to the team um, because they they lack since Tyreek Hill left last season, they lack a um, an explosive player. 
who can uh, make thing happen make things happen which is what tony is and the giants didn't quite know how to use him and also he can't stay on the field it's been his his problem since he joined the nfl but jalen hurts the eagles quarterback has an injured shoulder and we don't really know the extent of the injury um he, he suffered it toward the end of the season uh, they gave gardner Minshew two starts at the end of the season it's a combination now of based on what we saw against the Giants, of injury and or rustiness. His passing was off, and they weren't running him very much. And the key to their offense is that Jalen Hurts is probably as good a runner as anybody on the team. And when you run your quarterback, you add an extra blocker to the equation because normally when you hand the ball to a running back, the quarterback is now out of the play, so you're playing with 9 against 11. If the quarterback is carrying the ball himself, you're playing 10 against 11. And the threat of his running means that both the Kansas City pass rush will be a little more contained because they have to make sure they don't let him get outside of the pass rush. And also that their running game opens up a little bit because you have to watch Hertz. Um, and therefore that gives the running backs more room. The Hertz and Miles Sanders, the, their top running back were, had the two best yards per carry averages in the league. So it's a dangerous running attack. Uh, Mike, I, I guess for any franchise coming, in, coming into a Super Bowl, you want to have been relatively tested, um, coming into it. The Eagles, when you look at their playoffs, so they had the bye, the divisional round game against, as you mentioned, the, the Giants, who were overmatched a little bit, and then the championship game against the 49ers, who, of course, had their, their quarterback difficulties. I think they've only conceded a combined 14 points in the playoffs, the Eagles. Is there any concern there that, that there's a feeling that maybe they haven't been properly tested coming into Sunday? It's a good question, um, and, and it's a hard one to answer in the sense that they're a very good team, and they played well all season. But when you go back over the season, they had a lot of quarterback luck, not just Brock Purdy in the in the conference game. But, you know, when they played Dallas down in Dallas, it was Cooper Rush at quarterback. They they faced backup quarterbacks who are not very good ones in, an, in a number of games. You only can play who you're scheduled to play, so that's, you know, part of the problem. But there's no doubt that, they have the best offensive line in the league. They have one of the best defensive lines in the league. Uh, they're probably in total stronger than, than Kansas City in those factors. They have two really good receivers, uh, probably better than any of Kansas City's receivers. Um, they've got a group of decent running backs. Sanders is, is very good. So the question really is, is Jalen Hurts well enough to, to make that offense function on all on all cylinders, um, which makes it a very difficult one to defend. And is Mahomes good enough to create the way out of the schemes that they run um, to create points against that Kansas City defense? In, in a sense, it's kind of like when Philadelphia played New England in the Super Bowl in 2018 season. And I, I, New England was favored, and I kept saying to the guys I was working with, you know, it's weird they're favored because Philadelphia is the better team. But, of course, Philadelphia had a backup quarterback in Nick Foles, and New England had Tom Brady, and Tom Brady's Tom Brady. Um, and we sort of feel now the same way. Patrick Mahomes is Patrick Mahomes. It's the perennial question, Mike, but uh, for any team uh, lining out against the Kansas City Chiefs, but how do you stop Travis Kelsey? Um, because I mean, as as uh, tight ends go, he's he's in the Rob Gronkowski mold. Not an easy task, but it's probably the best defense he'll, he'll come come up against all season. Yeah, and it's 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 basically 
up until this season, you didn't you didn't stop Travis Kelsey. You stopped Tyreek Hill mm. first. That was your first concern. So Kelsey got a lot underneath. And the feeling was that everyone knew that Kelsey was their best weapon. So he would be facing the double teams um, this year and, and try, people trying to stop him. And what you try to do is control him. Um, not let him beat you with big plays. Uh, try to hold down the chunk plays. And you know, he's not quite the deep threat that Gronk, when he, when he was in his prime, was, or or that George Kittle is, you know, in terms of, of running fast down the, the seam, down the middle of the field. But he and Mahomes have such a good rapport, uh, and he's so smart that they run – they scheme a lot. Uh, Philadelphia's passing, uh, sorry, Philadelphia's passing att- attack is much simpler in concept than Kansas City's. And Kansas City's runs players at all levels trying to get, um, Kelsey open in particular or trying to get, you know, somebody else or create situations where the defenders have to choose between Kelsey and either a back in the flat in front of him or someone behind him try to make those openings and because he and Mahomes have such a great understanding and Mahomes sees the field so well and and anticipates so well routes that are what we would call option routes where if you're facing his own defense you would run one way and if you're facing a man defense you would run a different kind of pattern he and Mahomes know that so he'll break that off to move to a spot where he sees that there's more space or opens up more space. And Mahomes will anticipate that. And that's what makes him so hard to defend. The Eagles have a good secondary and they play mostly zone and they play mostly to contain. So the usually two deep safeties, which means nothing gets by them. They're trying not to let anything get behind them, keep everything in front. And what that concept is, is you're trying to make the other team beat you by consistently executing their plays and hoping, you know, hoping or expecting that sooner or later you'll break one that, that gives you a, um, not a turnover, but, but say a, a situation where you then know they're going to pass and you can release your pass rush, um, without having to worry too much about it. And that's going to be a, an interesting situation for, um, for the uh, Eagles. Chauncey Gardner Johnson, I think is probably going to be a key in that because he's, the flexible guy in their secondary who who can do almost anything. He can come up and play in the box like a linebacker. He can cover uh, a tight end. He can cover a wide receiver. So you might see a little more man um, than you would expect from them, or possibly one man on him, and then the rest of the, the rest of the secondary is playing zone. Um, and that could be a way to stop him. And then you have to then you know you don't worry so much about Marquez Valdez Scantling or um Juju Smith Schuster as you do against a, about AJ Brown or um Devonta Smith, the two wide receivers for Philadelphia. Uh they're they're not quite the kind of guys who beat you individually the way they do. But if Andy can sneak them open, you know, as a result of the concentration on Kelsey, that's where Kansas City's offense could really thrive. Penny for the thoughts of Donna Kelsey and the Kelsey family as they watch two brothers go up against each other. And <laughs> Mrs. Kelsey's got a tough job there. I'd love to know who they're supporting. I mean, it's, it's a, it, between that and then the fact that it's the first time two black quarterbacks have ever been starting against each other in a Super Bowl. Quite a historic Super Bowl, Mike, from, from a number of perspectives. Yeah, um, I always go back to the first black quarterback to start a Super Bowl was Doug Williams, uh, who was playing for Washington then. Um, and at the press day, the, the very the very first question um, that he was asked by a reporter was, uh, "Doug, how long have you been a black quarterback?" Jeez. 
<laughs> well, so we've moved on from those days. Yeah, so. for sure. Um, you know, and yeah, I think it's interesting because the young it's 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 part of the young breed of quarterbacks and and the the changing nature of the NFL which is in some ways reflecting college game um as def- as offenses have opened up um and the game has become more of a uh, mismatch kind of 7 on 7 battle um and you know between Mahomes is a rare talent um he's got that kind of natural athleticism um that you would see in in great scrum halves or or fly halves or or midfielders uh passing midfielders or point guards in basketball he's got that ability that vision to see the field to be able to anticipate what it's going to look like a, a second later uh than what he's seeing so he doesn't have to wait for a receiver to get open he can throw to a spot where he knows the receiver is going to be or anticipates it and then he's got his father was a major league baseball pitcher he's got a tremendous arm and and we've seen you know he can throw it any not just overarm like players usually do but underarm left-handed back back behind his back um so he's a rare talent and hurts is to me, the biggest story with the Eagles, who are a tremendously well-built team by the, the GM, Howie Roseman, who basically learned his trade under Andy Reid when Reid was in Philadelphia. They've, they've built depth into that team. They've gone out and got what they needed um, to get to improve them. And, and that big decision last year was whether they would stick with Jalen Hurts as their starting quarterback. And, you know, and Hurts was looked at as one of these guys who runs really well, but maybe he's going to be a liability in the pass game. And they decided, no, he's not. You know, we've, we've seen what he did, um, in college, but what we have to do is to create an offense that makes it easier for him not to be alive, that plays to his strengths. And, um, they went out and got AJ Brown, who from Tennessee, uh, in a trade at, at the beginning of the season. He's worked out really well for them. They drafted Devonta Smith, who's a great all-around receiver. These two guys are both quality players, and you can you can throw them the ball in fifty-fifty situations, and and you know be pretty sure that they're going to come up and uh, with wins in those situations. And that's why his shoulder, the shoulder injury to Hertz, is so important because. If he's not really a hundred percent, and and we saw in the um, championship game, his balls looked like they were sailing um, a bit a bit when when he threw long, and they didn't run him that much. Uh, they didn't really have to in most of the game, mm. but you know those are the two questions: Do they dare to run him and risk the shoulder injury? Which my answer would probably be yes, because it's the last game of the season and it's the biggest one he'll ever play. And is his passing going to be? as good as it was earlier in the season before he hurt the shoulder. And again, my guess is that it probably will be that whatever combination of rust and injury that was will have worn off um, for this game. But that, that to me is, is, is really the the key to how Philadelphia's offense is, is going to play. Yeah. It feels like the telling factor here is the injuries and, and how players are going to be come, come the day. But when you look at the chiefs, the experience they've had in the Super Bowl, the third time in four years, you would think that, you know, that will stand to them? It it might do. Um, you know, they it, it's funny because Andy Reid's legacy in Philadelphia was he produced consistently good teams. He got to the playoffs most years. He won the division quite frequently. But he only got to one Super Bowl, which they lost. Um, and then he left and, and Doug Peterson coached, coached the team to, to a Super Bowl. 
and Reed now and Mahomes have gotten you know great success in in the last last four years, but but only and I put only in quotation marks one Super Bowl win. So in a sense that that is going to be oh you know, is Andy Reid's legacy going to be that he's always the bridesmaid and and rarely the bride? You know, um, I think I think that's something that I doubt I doubt bothers them, and I think they draw on the experience that they had. But they're still like I say they they're always rebuilding. They're a young team. There's no Tyreek Hill. On this team, um, in the cha- conference championship, they had to start three rookie cornerbacks. Um, so their secondary was three fifths rookies and, and none of them were kind of like star. Well, one, one is kind of a, a first round pick, but the others, the others are not star rookies who are expected to step right in to the lineup. And so that's going to be a challenge for them. Um, they're constantly in flux. Uh, and what's interesting to me is that there are still, I think, three guys left. There's only three guys left on the Eagles team from the, their Super Bowl win over over New England, and they were uh, sort of all products of the, of the Reed era. One Kelsey's one of them, and um, Lane Johnson's another. And I'm trying to think in my mind desperately who the third one is. Um, but that, that's inc- um, that's, that, that's almost impressive in itself, Mike. As as um, Ashley mentions, like the Chiefs have been here, done that. But that Eagles team that won the Super Bowl five years ago, it essentially completely different especially when you have a yeah. different quarterback and, and head coach combo with with Hertz and Sirianni that like how did they manage to rebuild the team so quickly well that's Howie Roseman um and you know like I said and when after Reed left the team fired him and he kind of lost a power struggle within the front office and then they brought him back and then they finally promoted him back to general manager and he's done an amazing job of of building both a very good team and a lot of quality depth and, and going out after plays. And this this could be their shot because a lot of their players are their contracts are ending and they're gonna have problems at the end of the season deciding who gets paid and who who's got to move on and if their depth, you know, is enough. But he's still got a couple of first round pick draft picks in the next draft lined up. So they'll have a little bit of, of chance there. Whereas that Chiefs team is a younger team. For all the experience, they're actually a younger team um, and uh, still growing into their roles. And I, I think that's another it's another one of these balances. And this really is the as balanced a Super Bowl as I can remember. You know, when the when the when the uh, conference championship games ended and the line came out and and Kansas City were favorite and and then it switched back to Philadelphia and then Mahomes you know showed that he could kind of move around and it, it moved a little bit now but it's sitting with Philadelphia to up giving a point and a half so the Kansas City are slight underdogs and I wouldn't be surprised if if by Sunday it was a pick him game um and you know no no one's getting any points uh, just just take who you think is going to win and um and it's that classic thing I think Philadelphia is probably the better team and I think Kansas City, Philadelphia doesn't have a Mahomes. Mm. He's the best quarterback in the league. They've got a, the better defensive line, but they don't have a Chris Jones, who's maybe you know one of the two or three best defensive linemen in the league. And they don't have a Travis Kelsey, but get Dallas Goddard is a pretty good tight end. Um, he's probably the fourth or fifth best tight end in the league. So it's really, it's almost really, it's like how much faith you have in Patrick Mahomes, mm. <laughs> and that's that's the way you're going to go. So finally, Mike. Uh- Who's going to win? By how much? And also, Rihanna halftime show. Uh, you're looking forward to that. I don't. Know, I don't know how many Rihanna songs you can name. Please don't stop the music. Apparently, it's the bookies' favorite no, for, for the first song, and Umbrella for the last song. 
Yeah, what's the one with B-H in the title? (laughs) (laughs) Many of them. Yeah, yeah, there's a few of them, I think. Stays is another song that's going to be used. Um, Yeah, Super Bowl half-time shows have passed me by. Right, fair. You you want a definition of me, it's the headlines in the the Daily Mail two days ago when it said that uh, unknown blues singer Bonnie Raitt had... um, had taken taken the Emmy away from Be- uh, the, the Grammy away from Beyonce, and I'm thinking unknown. <laughs> it was, she got a Lifetime Achievement Award last year. Yeah, yeah. It's like, are they really that? that but anyway, that I'm I'm just a curmudgeon in, in those in those ways. I I have a problem in picking this game simply that um, I I can't do my usual he- he- hemming and hawing because I picked the Chiefs at the beginning of the season to okay. win the Super Bowl. So I'm I'm kind of locked into that. I mean, I could be very clever and pick the Eagles, and then I could say afterwards, well, you know, I picked the Eagles, and and uh, someone said, no, you didn't. I said, well, yeah, I picked the Chiefs at the beginning of the season, you know. So I, I'm going to go with the Chiefs. Um, but like I said, it, it's really a toss-up. Um, I it's how much you how much you think Mahomes can carry that team against against a team that's stronger up front. Um, the the old adage is that uh, offense win on offense gets you to championships and defense wins championships. Um, in which case you would probably like like the Eagles. And um, you know if you're an Eagles fan, you're probably anticipating that the city of Philadelphia is going out and greasing all of the lamp lamp poles mm-hmm. in Philadelphia on Sunday to make sure that the fans can't climb them and then yeah, destroy them. Absolutely. And maybe the Empire State Building will, will light up in <laughs> what the a great, of the What Eagles. a great city. Yeah, fantastic. <laughs> uh, Mike, great stuff. So Sunday night, Glendale, Arizona, Philadelphia Eagles and the Kansas City Chiefs. Enjoy the match and uh, thanks as always for joining us. Uh, thanks, guys. Great stuff. Mike Carlson there at 9.18am uh, on this Thursday morning's OTB AM. Here's what we've got coming up on OTB Sports Radio for you across today. From 1 o'clock, it's OTB Gold. Declan Murphy on his book, Centaur. Leaders' questions from 3. It's a retro panel at 4 o'clock, p- preparing for the boxing ring. Uh, speaking of boxing, OTB Gold at 6 is Jerry Eisenberg on Muhammad Ali. From 7pm, then the show is live this evening with Nathan, John Giles, plenty more besides. You can follow OTB across all our social channels and subscribe to the OTB Podcast Network for all the best in the latest sports content. During these ads, you will hear a clip from the latest Koi Gig pod where Karen Duggan and Emma Byrne talk to Kathleen about the issue of Katie McCabe's place in the Arsenal starting eleven. The Koi Gig pod on OTB Sports in association with Cadbury FC, official snack partner to the Republic of Ireland's women's national team. After these ads, Phil Egan. OTB AM on OTB Sports Radio, Ireland's first and only sports radio station. OTB GAA. Uh, well, it was wide, like, you know, everybody, I don't know how many thousand people were, were here today, but I'd say, I'd say every one of them thought it was wide except the umpire, but anyway, so look, that's, that's what happens when you, when you, you know, when you weigh grounds, you don't tend to get breaks. Subscribe to the OTBGAA podcast feed, wherever you get your podcasts. I thought Adable's comments after the game were a bit strange as well, when he was asked, you know, do you need a score like more scorers and he was like very adamant that they didn't have a problem scoring goals but then he was also like we have failed to get a player on board for the exact for the second yeah, transfer it makes sense in a role. it doesn't make sense he's he, he's he been saying the last few weeks after the game he he looks nearly upset um well, of course he was upset he he course. knew he messed up with Katie yeah. Well, I was just going to say, who's going to start the Katie McCabe rant? Is it going to be me or you, Emma? <laughs> I was, that was actually one of the first questions I was going to ask. He knows, he knows he's messed up. He knew he messed up the minute he, the, the whistle went because he went straight up to Katie and I don't know what he said to her, but I was like, 
come on, like you're going up there to, to basically say, I don't know if he said, you, I should have started you. I don't think he said that, but he should be saying that. Have said that. Because it was absolutely crying out for her to play. Not left back. I'm not talking about no. playing left back. I'm talking about playing instead of Hurtig. Yeah. Hurtig, for me, hasn't really shown that she she deserves a spot in that first 11. Katie has. I mean, she's a she's tidy. She's a good player. But when the chips are down and you need aggression and you need someone who can take the game by the scruff of the neck, I don't think she has that. Where Katie will put in a tackle, she'll do something to rally around them. And in the final third, I just thought they became... And she put in these balls that are absolutely on a plate. I guarantee you, if you asked any of the players... Black Senius needs. Black Senius needs. Yeah. Fizzing those balls across, getting in those positions to do that. Yeah, if you ask them, if you ask them, if they didn't say they they love playing with Katie McKay, there's something wrong with them because she literally puts it on a plate. How many times did we see her deliver balls in there? And it's like this: is you know, you ask any manager in the league, um, if you look at Arsenal's team sheet and you see that Katie's on the bench, would you be happy? obviously, yes, you'd be happy. And I don't really understand why she's not starting. I said it after the Chelsea game. Well, she'll start every game from now on because it was obvious that they missed her. And Emma Hayes was very happy she wasn't playing. So uh, I thought she, you know, she has to start from now on. I mean, just Even if he wants to play Hurtig, put Leah Williamson back centre-back and play her in the midfield three. Get her on the pitch. OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. 22 minutes past nine on this Thursday morning's OTB AM. Phil Egan joins myself and Ashley in studio. Good morning, Phil. How are you doing? How Keeping you well. On? We're looking at the odds here for the, the next Leeds United manager. I know you were watching the match last night. Arne Schlott uh, from Feyenoord and Doni Iraola, who is the manager of Rayo Vallecano. And Nuno Espirito Santo, third favourite. Who the hell is getting the Leeds job? Yeah, it's tough for me because the reports from Spain is that Airola doesn't want it or he's not going to take it. And Viacano are doing really well in La Liga. They're just three points off the Champions League places, as in Atletico Madrid. So they're fifth and they're onto a good thing there. It's very hard to get managers away from a job that they're doing very well in at the moment. And you mentioned slot there, fine art at the top of the Eredivisie. And I would have seen a fair bit of them last season in the Conference League. They got to the final. They got Mourinho in the final against Roma, but they were brilliant to watch. They had Sinistera, obviously now of Leeds, who went off with a hamstring injury last night. Malassia, who came on for United. Mm. And then Reese Nelson was on loan from Arsenal. Sinesi, the Argentine centre-half, who plays for Bournemouth. So they actually lost those players, but they are now top of the Eredivisie. I still think Ajax are going to win that though because they've got their act together since they got rid of their manager and Johnny Heiting is there. But would Arne Slot leave his current role? It's tough to leave when you're a tough time of the year, isn't it? Yeah. Like to be changing managers and for looking for a new one. You know, it's the, the business end you're coming up to. It's, yeah. it's a very tough time but you feel for Leeds they need to do something quick. 
Yeah. We were saying this morning, Phil, 18 to 1, Ange Postacoglu. <laughs> no. He's linked with every job. What do you think, Phil? No, again, I, I think it goes back to, I think he's onto such a good thing with Celtic and, you know, you think of what he did with them last season, he's building something. I think as well, Postacoglu might want another crack at the Champions League because they were so good in the Champions League without getting the results, probably the performances mm-hmm. deserved. And also they were in a really tough group as well. And now, again, why is he going to leave... Celtic. Celtic are a massive club, as are Leeds. And people say, oh, Brendan Rodgers left Celtic for Leicester. But Brendan Rodgers had been at Celtic longer. He had pretty much won everything that he could with Celtic. And Postacoglu is probably thinking, you know, I've got more silverware to win here. And, and even listening to both of them, you get a total different feel from yeah. Ange Postacoglu. Absolutely, and yeah. His values and everything else. And you feel like he wouldn't up and, and leave yeah. like that. Yeah, no, I, I would um, be... Very reassuring to Celtic fans. You see the smirk on Ashley's face there when yeah. you said they're both, they're both massive clubs. <laughs> uh, we were having a bit of controversy on the show this morning. Cameron saying that Leeds are a bigger club than Celtic. Obviously, Ashley not agreeing. I'm more leaning towards the Celtic point of view. As James McCullough in the comments, Celtic are far bigger than Leeds. I lived in Perth, Australia for a few years, and Celtic turned in 2011. The whole ground to a halt yeah. uh, when they played Perth Glory uh, due to the fan influx. And like, I guess you can't like Celtic have a higher attendance. It's tough to get tickets for Celtic matches, I think, as well. Yeah. Like the Celtic fans are everywhere. I think any part of the country, you go, or the country, the world you go to, there'll be a, a Celtic fan base. You know, it's absolutely massive. It's incredible. Like some of the away games I've gone to, it's it's you know people should experience it. I went yeah. to see Celtic play in Boston against New England Revolution. I think it was two thousand and five, and again, massive crowd there mm-hmm. to watch it and. Shift surge in the comments, though, uh, must be a cousin of Shifty Lad. If Leeds and Celtic go in for the same player, where does the player go? Yeah, but that doesn't decide who's got the bigger club. It's a fa- no, yeah, it's that's a financial thing. And, I'm actually, yeah. the whole argument about Celtic, if you gave them Premier League money, where would they finish? Well, if you gave them Premier League money and you let them build a squad with that Premier League money, they would be very high up in the Premier League. I'm not saying they're going to win it, but they've a massive fan base. European spots, anyway. Mm. Because a lot of you get you get the argument, and you've probably heard the argument all the time. Oh, they're a championship club. This they're is it. But like you saw them against Real Madrid, like you touched on it there, Phil. I know they lost. I think it was three 0 in that first game, especially. But like some of the chances, yeah. you know, they'd early chances as well. That if they had just taken them, you know, it would have it could have been a different game. So they they do hold their own yeah. against but the biggest teams in the world. The problem as well is when they go up against teams like Real Madrid, they're not used to playing those kind of teams. So mm. that. Like the difference in standard, like so, you have to step up to that, and that's where Postecoglou is probably thinking. I want to get more experience with these players playing at that level, and then we'd be better in the Champions League. Uh, look, I, th- to answer your question, Postecoglou isn't going to Leeds, but I don't know who is going to Leeds. Ralph Hasenhutl is a name that's been mentioned. Ooh. See, the problem is that if you can't get one of your main targets, then you have to settle for someone else, and. That could be okay, but then do you get somebody till the end of the season and then you move in the summer? Um, I, I don't know. It's uh, it'll be interesting to see. I kind of get the I get the impression Leeds just wanted rid of Jesse Marsh. They just thought we need to get rid of him. We've got two games against United, then we've got massive games against Everton and Southampton, and we need a new manager in before those games. Mm, bring back Bielsa. Although we didn't want him mid-season, it's probably the the issue on, uh, on that front uh, we did want to touch on Kitty McCabe's situation at Arsenal Phil back in the team last night left of a of a three five two wing back yeah. uh, and a great performance by all accounts last night against Man City as well um, she hasn't been in the team of late which has been quite quite strange not something Vera Powell will, will want to have seen but, but she's back in there she's back in there but 
It was a League Cup game. Yeah. And I know it was a semi-final, but they play City again on Saturday in the WSL. And that's a really big game in terms of... That was... And the, the win was after extra time for Arsenal last night, but City were on an unbelievable run. And that was quite a significant win for Arsenal, if they can back it up then on Saturday. But that'll be one of the things I'll be looking at the team selection is Katie McCabe in because she's obviously been left out for the West Ham game and the Chelsea game two games they've actually drawn mm. and Arsenal used to win in their games but yeah it'd be interesting you know the clip we played there and Emma Byrne no better person to give an opinion on Arsenal and Katie McCabe and I don't think it is a you know let's look out for the Irish player like Katie McCabe should be in there I'm I'm still baffled how the Strange. Guardian do their thing every year the 100 best players in the world and she wasn't in the top 100 mm. where a lot of her teammates from Arsenal were I'm not talking about she rarely has a bad game yeah like, Beth, Beth Mead obviously was in the was in the top three mm-hmm. but I, I'm talking about other players that were even appearing in the, the 50s and 60s and there was no sign of Katie McCabe just strange like very strange because she's so influential mm. You know, she's exactly what you want in a teammate, though. Yeah, hundred percent all the time. You could always count on her. Like yeah. she has that control, and we talked about her being captain so young you of the Ireland squad. She has that yeah. in her. Yeah. You feel that when she plays with Arsenal, it's it's just a strange one. I love the photos, even of her. There's a lot of stills of her after matches for Arsenal where she's standing over players, and yeah. she takes no shit. Mm. Like yeah. she is a proper warrior. Yeah, but like mm. it's that, that's something we mentioned earlier, Phil, as well. The fact that a lot, I would say a lot, but. A significant number of the Irish squad, Vera Pau squad at the moment, aren't playing consistently or regular football. No. Is that a concern? That has to be, yeah. Um, like Lily Ag played last night. Lily Ag scored again last night for London City. They were beaten by Bristol City, which was a massive game in terms of promotion in the Championship. And uh, I meant even Bristol City. Chloe Mustaki is on the books of Bristol City. She's not getting a look in at the moment. And, but. Um, you think of even Courtney Brosnan, our goalkeeper, played at the weekend because Ramsey was on loan from United, so she, she couldn't play. So Courtney Brosnan comes in, clean sheet, played in a cup game when they were actually beaten by Birmingham, which is actually, we're getting plenty of players there. Birmingham is full of Irish players. That most of them are playing. They're in the championship. See, this is what's going to happen with the WSL is because it's the money that's coming into the WSL, you're getting some of the best players in Europe now. And we saw this with the Premier League where the more European and players from around the world that came in, Irish players were finding it harder to get into the top teams and it filters down, it trickles down. So that could be a concern for, for Irish players. But yeah, it'll be interesting to hear what Vera Powell says when she names her squad. Would it be a concern? But that's why you have training camps and you have build-up games to a major tournament some people could see it as a plus to say do you know what they they won't have as many miles on the clock so maybe they'll be a bit fresher but you also need match sharpness as well yeah for mm-hmm. sure just finally Phil uh, there's news coming in here from the, uh, on a European Super League perspective uh, mm-hmm. Sky News reporting fresh plans for an 80-80 team competition announced by the uh, uh, Chief Executive Bernd Reichardt talking to a German newspaper Die Welt uh, teams will be guaranteed a minimum of 14 matches per season uh, multi-divisional format based on sporting performance only with no permanent members which I guess is different to the, the previous um, concoction of, that was the European Super League uh, so A22 a company formed to sponsor and assist with the creation of the Super League has consulted with nearly 50 European clubs since October last year developed 10 principles based on that consultation which underpinned its plans for a new look league they're saying it's time for change in this statement um, 
it's it's new luck. It's definitely different to the previous incarnation, Phil, of the Super League. What do you make of all this? But does it involve the best teams in Europe? This is the thing. So is this teams apart from the best ones that you have? So are all the best Premier League clubs going to be in it? Are Barcelona, Real Madrid going to be in it? We know why the Super League is that that idea was was floated in the first re, in the first place and greed. I mean, yeah, but also like. As, like, as much as we like watching the Premier League, there's a big issue in European football where you're looking at some of the players that have left really good clubs around Europe to sign for what you wouldn't consider big clubs in the Premier League. The money is just huge and yeah. it doesn't really bode well for the other European leagues and you can see why some of them want to try and sign up to this. It's mad, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Like, At least, as they say, it, if it happens based on performance only and there aren't guaranteed teams every year, that's that's a step in the right direction mm. compared to what they were what they were uh, talking about before. So it's a revived Super League we're hearing about this morning, but expanded plans and a multi-divisional format, eighty teams, uh, which is going to be a bit of a mad one. Phil, great stuff as always. Thanks a million. Nice. Uh, so nine thirty-three a.m. on this Thursday morning, OTBM brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish today. Ashley, thanks a million as always. Thanks, Shane. This morning, great show. Uh, tomorrow, Adrian and myself will be building up the last day before Ireland versus France. We'll have Alan Quinlan, of course, uh, with us as always. Uh, we'll be talking about the weekend's WSL action with Gilly Flaherty. And, of course, we'll have Around the World and our new segment, The Friday Fire Pit. Huge success, the Friday Fire Pit so far, talking about different topics. We delved into uh, national anthems last, last week. Uh, more topics coming away on that tomorrow. Tune into Off the Ball this evening for all of your sporting needs. OTB AM. With Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar.